Friday, May the 20th. We got a little bonus podcast for you this week because of Preakness Week. We couldn't fit it all into one. So on this episode, we are going to talk some NBA with Eric, talk about what's going on in both the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll preview the uh, Friday Game 2 of Dallas-Golden State. Then we will recap Episode 5 from Moon Knight. We still have Episodes 5 and 6 to finish up for you, so Tim Kelly joins me for that one. And then earlier Friday morning, I recorded our weekly live stream this weekend in Stable Duel with uh, Barry Spears and Matt DeSantis. And the second half of that all talks about some Saturday races at Pimlico. So I figured I'd just cut off the back of that. It's a video, so if it sounds a little wonky, it's because we do it on video and I'm just taking the audio out of it, but I figured it might help a couple of you out if you want to play in those stable dual contests or if you're playing the Pimlico Saturday card. So we'll get uh, some NBA, we'll get some Moon Knight, and then we'll get some Pimlico for Saturday, some stable dual stuff with Barry and with Matt on this episode. That's what G said. That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow and check out that incredible live stream schedule that they have. I'm on hosting all the time over there, free previews for every NBA game, daily baseball shows. If there are big golf events, we just previewed the PGA Championship. Uh, We just started new uh, NASCAR shows, UFC shows over there. When football comes up, we preview every football game over at betterthan.vegas. Everything's free at BTV. So one more thing to mention. Awesome news at Louisiana Downs, uh, where I've been handicapping the races over there and helping them out. They've changed the formatting of the pick four and the pick five. They are now both 15% low takeout. They're mandatory. They're payouts every day, not jackpot wagers. So great news. Really looking forward to that. And there's going to be a mandatory pick four payout on Saturday, Kentucky Derby Saturday, with a really big pool. So let's check that out. Also, looking forward to uh, talking LAD every day here and every day they're racing on uh, on That's What G Said and on social media. Give me a follow there. It's me, Gino B. Okay, let's get into NBA with Eric. Following that, we'll shift on over. We'll uh, we'll toss in the, uh, the stable duel stream from this morning, and then we'll finish up with Tim Kelly talking some Moon Knight, Episode 5. NBA! Who's hot? Who's not? Who's hot? Who's hot? Just four teams remaining in the NBA, so uh, we have less to talk about from a series standpoint, but more to talk about from uh, an in-depth standpoint with each of these games, as it's uh, very important now with uh, with just the two series that remain. We're in the Western Conference Finals, and then we'll shift on over and talk a little bit about the East. And as always, Eric joins me here. And uh, Eric, we know that Dallas and Golden State have already played one game so far, and game one went to Golden State pretty handily. They seemed like they just had a little bit too much for Dallas right off the bat. But before we get into that series and maybe what we'll look more uh what we look forward more to that uh, to that series, let's talk about the team that now is eliminated and let's talk a little bit about Phoenix who was the number 1 seed this year, best record in the league. The two teams from last year's NBA Finals now are both done. And it's so weird where Phoenix is right now cuz what do you, what do you do when you have a year that was so good and then you get beat by 50 in the playoffs in game seven on your home court? You're never even in the game. And this this wasn't in the NBA finals either. Do you, like how do you how do you move forward from this? This is one of those like stingers that could really stay with you. I it's not as if they're getting younger, right? Chris Paul looked awful and 
old down the stretch. You know, what is Phoenix going to do from here? Well, I mean, I kind of said it during our, um, when you, me, and Kyle talked on the BTV show. Uh, I think they messed up by not getting a wing. They have the Sarix contract, which was $8 million. They could have used that as another contract to get like an Eric Gordon. I think they kind of messed up. They didn't do a good enough job with the roster. Hindsight being 2020. They so as we're talking, I'm looking at the looking at the roster for right now. And well, they, they played Sarnich $8 million a season and he didn't play at all. So, I mean, that's the contract I'm, I'm talking about how they could mm-hmm. have traded Houston. Yep. He, and, and, when you when you look at you know the the way that their roster sets up, they have Booker, Paul, Aiton, Crowder are their four highest paid players, and then following that, it was Sarich and Campaign, and those guys didn't even sniff a minute in the playoffs. That, that's what well, ends up hurting you when well, you're. I remember paying. Sarnich, Sarnich hurt his knee. Yeah, Sarich was. That's yeah. what I mean. He was hurt. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't as if yeah. he was not playing, but he. Yeah. When you're not getting any contributions. From guys that end up being like your fifth and your sixth highest paid players when you're paying them eight, eight and a half, and six and a half million. So, right there, that's $15 million, a $15 million slot that you got zero production out of in the playoffs. Exactly. And like when you're paying that much in a salary cap league, or like, you know, you got to make sure that you, uh, that you get production. So, there's a lot of people, a lot of players on like those bottom teams that could have came in. And fit in and help the Suns. Um, also, I kind of feel Monty isn't getting enough of the blame. I agree. Uh, we, we gave him all the credit game. this year because yep. he did fantastic. He had a great year. You gave him a lot of credit throughout the year on this show. We talked yeah. about how, man, this is someone the Lakers wanted to get maybe. And like he did a really good job. But I don't think he did in the, in the really all throughout the playoffs. I was sort of disappointed that they didn't look that impressive throughout. Well, I mean, like, just look at the game yesterday. Um, Golden State threw more defenses at Luka in one game than, Gold- than the Phoenix did for the whole series. I mean, Luka, there was a triangle in two. There was a box in one. He was constantly getting doubled. You know, they just there just was no cr- defensive creativity from, um, from Monty at all. And, you know, with the way the Suns played, you know, you and I were talking about it. The pick and roll was open all game. They should have used the pick and roll more with A.N., use A.N. more down, be- down below, you know, more cuts to the basket. We really saw the uh, the Warriors take advantage of that in that first game, in the game one. So, I don't know. I think Monty isn't getting enough of the blame. Uh, it's definitely a different, interesting offseason. You have an owner that historically is a cheap owner. He doesn't like to go over the luxuries tax. So, you, you have that elephant in the room. And then... You know, you have to make sure, like, what do you want to do with um, with Aiden? You know, you have to sit Booker down, and you have to say, what do you want? Because he is their best player. Does he want Paul back? Because if they trade Paul or don't re- or trade Paul, and he gets upset, you know, player empowerment, he could leave. Or if he really likes Aiden and they don't re-sign Aiden or match the offer sheet, he could get pissed off and leave. So because th- yeah, this is the moment situation. This is the moment, it's a really big crossroads moment for them Because right now, looking at sport tra- at sport track And looking at what they've got on the books for next year Devin Booker, $33.8 million, Chris Paul, $28.4 million, Bridges, $21 million, Jay Crowder, 10 Shamit, and Sarich So, you know, they don't They've got a, a They can obviously sign Aiden and keep him and and then if they do that, that's 
I mean, that's their team. They don't have a whole lot of wiggle room, honestly. No. And so no. this is a moment right now where they've got to figure out, is, is this the team and the group you want to go to battle with? Because Chris Paul is not getting younger. You're going to need people to continue. I think what we've, what we've seen now for Chris Paul and what's, what's it's unfortunate to say, can, or can, can we ever really pencil Chris Paul in for a full season all the way through to the finals and expect him to still be one of the top two or three players on a championship level team. No, I'll just say it. No, you right. Know what I mean, like it's unfortunately his window is closed. You know, you see these guys get up here in age um, and they just can't handle the wear and tear and, you know, the constant grind and like people leaning on them. I will say this though. I feel that um, this playoffs has been a lot more physical um, compared to last year's, which I kind of like. I agree. Um, but yeah, I really just think is, you know, his body's just kind of breaking down when you have these taller guards just leaning on him and he just, he's just breaking down. So I don't think him being the guy you can, you can do anymore. And what's hard is that he is smaller, smaller guard, getting a little bit older. So the bursts that he used to have are less and less. He was never someone that was going to crush you with that athleticism before. Um, And then because he's small, you know, you can kind of shoot over him. I don't think he's quite a cone like Patrick Beverly was saying, but he's not like a defensive stopper or the defensive player that he used to be. He's not as quick, so he can't anticipate. He can't make, you know, steals uh, like he, he did before. And a guy like Chris Paul, you could win if Chris Paul was on your team. If he was like your third or your fourth guy, if he wasn't making $30 million. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If the rest of your team, if Chris Paul was like a veteran at, you know, later in his career and he didn't make as much money and you didn't need as much from him all the time. And then Chris Paul could help you in moments and step up and have big games. That's great. But the problem is someone like Chris Paul, he's always going to command so much money. He's always going to take up such a chunk of your salary that it's like, are, are you better off having someone like Chris Paul? Or are you better off having three rotation players or two, like probably above average NBA type rotation players And that's that's what's hard with these These aging stars With some of these contracts we've seen with Westbrook Chris Paul is even better than Westbrook Getting older because he can at least shoot And he's not so He can play off the ball a little bit Yeah you know yeah. And so they're yeah they're in a tough spot Right now and it's amazing How quick it, it flips Three weeks yeah. ago it's like, oh, they got the best record in the league. They've got home court all the way through. They're playing a playing Pelicans team. That's you know who who knows how good this team is, and 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 then boom, it just it flips for you. Chris Paul, he, he had the game. What was he? I'm like looking at his game logs from this year. Yeah, he in the playoffs had that unbelievable game where he was fifteen. What was he 15 for I know, 14 for 14 14 for 14 for 33 points eight assists five rebounds that was in game six of the Pelican series he came back in games one and two of the Dallas series and was was really good he's he scored 19 points he was seven of 13 from the field he had a couple threes in game one he had five uh three assists and five rebounds and just 
like real solid positive game comes back in game two has 28 eight assists and six rebounds and a steal awesome game and then the next five games he just can't find it at all and yeah. it uh i mean it it honestly it it was their entire season i mean it, the game seven what happened with him and book that was just one of those weird ones but that's what that's why you don't want to put yourself in that position, right? Yeah. When you have a chance to close it out in game six, you're up three games to two. You got to go to Dallas. You don't mail these games in. I don't remember a playoff where I saw more teams mail in games. And this is what happens when you do that, Eric. Like we saw, I don't I want to say Milwaukee mailed any games in. We'll talk about them in a little bit. For Milwaukee, I think a lot more than Phoenix, we can look at Milwaukee and say, there are a couple things that they maybe could have done differently or better, but they did have a legitimate excuse with their second best player being out. That like we can look yeah. at Milwaukee and say that, right? Phoenix doesn't have that kind of an excuse. Not at all. I mean, Phoenix is at a tough point because you also we certain people, I was not one of them, were comparing Booker to Kobe Bryant last year. I know. And you know, don't get me wrong, you know, he's been great and everything, but... We thought he was underrated this year. You know, he's underrated, but with what you saw in the playoffs and everything, are you sitting back and saying, yeah, I can see him leading them to a, to a title? Eh, not, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not really at that point. I'm, I don't really think he can lead them to a title right now. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, Paul this, was there, and Paul kind of took a little ball handling pressure off him. But I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those turning points. Like uh, a couple summers ago is that turning point with Milwaukee. What's going to go on with Giannis? Is he staying? Is he going? You know, what you're going to do. And granted, it's at two different situations, like with Paul being an aging veteran, Giannis just reaching his peak. But it was a turning point because if Giannis leaves, that franchise has to do the reset. I really think if Paul stays and they get rid of Aiden, they're going to kind of have to do a reset just because it's not going to look too good. So <clears throat> maybe, um, maybe Booker should have been okay with the double teams in, in pickup, you know, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny is, is I know how you are kind of this way too. And I, I am, I can't help it, but like, there are some players and some things that I hear somebody say years ago or like a little situation and I can't ever forget it. Like it sticks with me, you know, yeah. for some reason there were some things that Kyler Murray, when he was coming in that he sort of said and the way he acted. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And, and then he's actually better than I thought he was going to be. But when I see him like struggle down the stretch or not really like be able to win in the big ones, sometimes I go, I'm, you know, it doesn't shock me, and there's there's something to just always <coughs> welcoming the challenge, right? And the 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 pre- not not even the pressure, but just always being ready for a fight. Yeah. Versus some of these guys nowadays, they're like, oh, time out. I'm just practicing. Yeah. No, you it's just the it's, you, your intensity level. If you want to be the best, should sort of always be on, you know, level ten. Yeah. Like always And big big moment for Phoenix and, and what they're going to do Because you know you look around the west uh, Again and It's so wide open I mean you, you gotta think of it like this A you got what's going on in Memphis 
I mean, they're probably you got to figure all those guys are going to take another leap forward going into. And next they're year. they're a prime um, team that's ready for like a trade two or three of their guys for one upgrade star. They need another. They need a, like a number two guy behind Jaw, someone that's a little bit. Maybe better than Jackson or in that Jackson range And they've got a lot of pieces on their bench That they could Maybe it's Bain and somebody else They package and they go get You know like an, a Beal type Someone like that You know maybe just like a, a Closer to running mate with Jaw Because they've got a lot there They're not far away and they seem like they're ripe for they're a move They're close They're close yep. um, You know you got Obviously you know, you got to figure the Mavericks are going to add some pieces around Matt, around Luca. You know, Clippies get that could... roster a, a little better. You have the Nuggets, who got Murray and possibly Porter coming like back yep. next year. The Clippers um, added a lot of ro- good role players, and if and yep. it's so hard to to count on them. But if those guys are healthy, even if it's Paul George in that group or Kawhi and you know combinations of them, they're in the mix because they added with with adding a. Uh, Powell and Covington, like those are solid role players to have. They had, they have a really, they could be a dangerous playoff team with a bunch of switchable wings if all those dudes were healthy. Oh yeah, they could be insanely dangerous. And then you know, you always got to think. We got the team that I feel everyone's kind of forgetting about right now, who have the eighth pick, which is an insanely valuable asset. The Pelicans with possibly Zion coming back, you know. Pelicans are really underneath the radar. Um, and it's funny we talked about Timberwolves. You know, eight, like they're another nine teams. Team. We didn't even yeah. talk about a team with with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Who exactly? Like they're they're going to make a move with for Westbrook with Westbrook, and if they're able to get something back from there, there are a lot of combinations of things that have been discussed that you look at and you go, oh. that would actually work out pretty well yeah. for the Lakers. You know, and another team which. You know, call me crazy, but Thunder have the second pick. Dude, you know, I think Gilders how many Alexander, picks they have too. I know, but my my thing is, you have Gildress Alexander, who's who's like the tough guy, the the guard that starts with D, who's like all world defense. Um, you got Josh Giddy. You figure you're gonna get like if they get the Smith kid, the kid, guy from Auburn drops the two. You know, you got something there. Bring in like. Their version of CJ McCollin, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they've overachieved. That team, that team could could have something going. You got Houston, who, you know, they got Josh Green. They got Green. They'll probably take another step forward. Tons of picks. Um, tons of picks. John Wall. I mean, the West. West it's is just pretty wide, wide open. Completely wide open, and we haven't even got to free agency yet. So yeah. you know, like. A lot of stuff is going to happen. A lot of stuff. So you know, your window, all all of a sudden, where it looked like, oh wow, Phoenix is you know by far the best team this year, and now it's like, oh, <laughs> who knows? But but that's kind of how it is. Like stuff can change on a dime. You know, and, like, and most of the that that's why when teams are good for such a long period of time, we love it and we talk about it and we we call them dynasties and we we always want to watch them on TV and we write books about them and there's TV shows about those teams the Celtics and the Lakers and the the Bulls and, and any teams that can win multiple titles because it's so hard it's so yeah. hard even this year Milwaukee you looked around Milwaukee if they if Chris Middleton was healthy I think Milwaukee would very easily have won a title this year I mean end of the day I think 
two things for Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee's kind of kicking themselves for not keeping PJ Cut Tucker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a thing. Also, let's face it, like they they need to get, and it's something I've said on the show. Yard depth wasn't there, like from the beginning of the season all throughout. Like they just don't have enough depth to guard. Um, you were talking about how they were working guys out, you know, towards the end, and they went yeah. with Carter, yeah. like Tyreek uh, Evans was someone they were hoping to get. Yeah, they brought week. some guy up from the Argentina league who yeah. didn't even make it on the court. Um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting offseason. Uh, I will say this I think, like, long term, them losing is probably a good thing because when Giannis sat down, he just looked pissed. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't look exhausted, like, Mike motivated or breathe. Yep. No, he just looked like pissed that they lost, and like the with the improvements that this guy has made in the course of his career, I'm just starting to think like he's just that really alter competitive guy that's just going to constantly just outwork people, and then just get better and better, and it's just going to be up to the Bucks to put people around him. Obviously, Grayson Allen isn't it. You know, they're going to have to get like a couple more scores. What I tell. The big rumor is Damian Lillard that they're going to try to make a play for. I really hope they don't do that because Lillard is such a liability on the defensive end. Well, and then and you when, have – so what and, would the play be for Lillard? Oh, my God. It, it was like a multi it – it involved um, – my God, what did I read? It, it involved them and the, um, the Blazers. It was a three-way trade. So it was the Bucks sending Middleton – to the um oh my god what was it it was bucks okay so it'd be okay. but the, but the gist of it bucks, was the bucks get lillard portland gets fox and jordan norwall who is doesn't play for the bucks and a first round pick from milwaukee the kings received middleton and josh hart and then three first round picks then, like, it was this whole article that was read that wrote. Then the Bucks. now this is the trade I think makes zero sense for the Jazz to do. The Bucks send Ibaka and George Hill and two second-round picks to the Jazz for Royce O'Neal and Rudy Gay. And then they sign Nicholas Batu and your boy Schroeder. So that way their lineup would be Lillard, Holiday, Royce O'Neal, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez with Portis, Schroeder, Nicholas Baton, Gay, and Grayson Allen being their bench. I think, like, obviously, Connington's there. The guy completely forgot about Connington. I think they need to keep Connington with what with what he can bring, like, athletically and be able to hit three. I think they need to move on from Grayson Allen. And I'll say it, I love Splash Fountain, but you have a seven-foot guy who plays like he's 6'8". You got to move on from him. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. The, the so, uh, Giannis, Middleton, Drew, Brooke, Allen, all on the books for next year. Brooke yeah. at almost 14 million. Allen at over 9 million. Then you got an option for uh, Connaughton and Bobby Portis there at like yeah, five. Yeah. You got those, those guys are so key rotational. I yeah. Mean, like, like you got to keep those guys. But, you know, you got to give the GM of the Bucks. He was able to get bring in Holiday. He's shown he's able to work some magic. So see what he can do. You know what I mean? I think they messed up because the owner really didn't want to go over the tax, not not signing Tucker. What 
could Tucker have made enough three-pointers? He's not really known for his offense, so you don't know. But at the end of the day, Middleton there or not, you can't go 4 of 31 shooting a three in game seven and expect to win. That's just it. No, like, they and, need to get a couple more reliable knockdown shooters. And Bud, <clears throat> we didn't really love some of the, the coaching decisions he made. But you, you said it again. If they're if they're that bad from three, it didn't really matter. And he played well and made some big plays throughout the throughout the series in some winning plays. Played really hard, but Drew shot so poorly in the series. But too. it goes back to the thing: like he's stout defensively, and yep. he spends so much energy on the defensive end. He's the best three in the NBA. Like if he's and then he's three, trying but... to be a Middleton. On but top of playing the defense, yeah, it's just it's just it, too it, much for him. Everybody was slotted after Giannis. That and see, that was the big problem is that Giannis was fine as the one, but then everybody else was slotted up at least one slot because Middleton wasn't there. So now yeah. all of a sudden, Drew's got to be your two and carry the load on defense also. And then after Drew, now you're looking around, you're like, who's even the three? Is it? Brooke Lopez is it supposed to be maybe Grayson Allen? Bobby Portis kind of has that alpha in him, but there was nobody else that really seemed to kind of step up. George Hill minutes were awful, and so that one piece really hurt them. And but the, I will say this though, like coming in, everyone thought the Celtics were like one of the teams that could win it, and you could make the case right now that. Them or the Warriors are probably going to win the title, you know. But with how bad you look at for a series with how bad Milwaukee shot, it still went seven games. They still had an elimination game they could have won at home. And at home, I know, I know. So you know, that, and that's like, that's why I actually, I'm, in my eyes, they're in a better situation than Phoenix is. Absolutely, oh, hundred percent. They're yeah. like, I'm not worried about Milwaukee at all. That was that was another one of the reasons why I'm still not. Like Boston's been playing great, but he just kind of look back through their road again. Like we said, it's like okay, they beat this Brooklyn team that I think anybody was going to beat with their body language. They were just not in it, and then they beat Milwaukee, who actually had a chance to still eliminate them, even though Milwaukee didn't play very well. Milwaukee played hard, but not that well, right? They they play hard. But nobody shot all that well throughout Giannis was having to take even And even Giannis because there's no Middleton He's having to take harder shots And then you could see He starts getting worn, de- worn down He's missing some shots in the last game or two That he probably doesn't normally miss Yeah <clears throat> Le- Little heavier legs And yeah. another point We've discussed this throughout the year a whole lot And this leads me back to just Sort of one of the things that I always po- I, I point out when I go to my Anthony Davis defense is now look at all the guys who played deep into last year and then went and played in the Olympics and they're all done right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't. But I mean, they, like we all we all said, like all of us said, like those three are going to be in trouble. Holiday and Booker, Booker. shouldn't have gone. But, I hope you know they and they elected it, to what you know it was their choice, but. And and that's cool like you said it's not I'm not blaming anybody for doing it But it is just one of those things that you look at it And just go it is gonna catch up with you 
it, if yeah. your routine is just a little bit different than in normal, where for eight to ten years of your life you've done it this way, where you play the season, you take a little time off, and then you start ramping back up. You're working on this, you're working on that. You know, you're you have your whole way of doing things, and when that's interrupted a little bit, we're creatures of habit. These guys immediately. Play longer than they'd they'd ever played before Deep into the the finals Game 6 of the NBA finals And then they get on a plane and go right over And play in the Olympics after they're already A little bit tired And then everything about their entire Sort of off season and ramping back up Is off schedule You know And now at this point Look at what we got in Game 7 from Booker No legs Middleton got hurt And Drew was unfortunately his shooting percentages were awful, like we said, because he had to carry so much of a load. So it's it is really incredible when players can do it because like Durant last year, he was playing 48 minutes. He was playing 48 minutes in these games down the stretch just to get them into the eighth spot. That yeah. catches up with you. You just can't do it. It does. It does. It's just it's a grind and it's one of those things that it's hard. And you know, someone made a comment, it's kind of like if you just look through like all the NBA titles, you can kind of make an asterisk about every single team. I know everyone, you know, because you know, every like, year there's, there's injuries there's or yeah, you can so make the excuses kind of like, why maybe you know. a different team didn't, wouldn't have, or couldn't have, or a bad call here, or this should have been that. And yeah, it was, it, it's amazing how it flipped just a few weeks ago. It looks like, it looked like Phoenix and Milwaukee were both on track to be right back there again. And then an injury or two, all of a sudden, Chris Paul sort of loses uh, some life in his legs, and then boom! Yeah, uh, just stuff just flips. We got a new champ this year, no doubt about it. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the West right now. We had Game One where uh, the Mavericks just got got sort of punched, and they were coming off a of Game Seven where they did the punching against Phoenix. And and so, what do we think Game Two is going to be on Friday? We'll preview the game. Earlier in the day on uh, Better Than Vegas at BTV bets I, at around six o'clock PM Eastern time. What uh, what are you thinking going into I, Game Two I, and the rest of the series? I'm gonna say this: like everyone was talking about Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, but we all kind of forgot about Andrew Wiggins and what he can do defensively. I mean, granted, you you can never someone as good as Luca, you can never really shut down. But I thought he did. Very well defensively. I thought Curry did a great job of mixing up exotic defenses and giving him different looks. But at the end of the day, if Luga is doing his thing and you don't have to worry about the the supporting cast getting a three and other guys are allowed to sag off and then you have Wiggins playing defense, that's going to be extremely easy for the Golden State Warriors because we saw it with the Bucks. If the if the role guys aren't hitting threes. It doesn't matter how many points Luca or Giannis will get. You need to be able to get more points from other pieces. Um, you know, we talked about it this 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 morning when we recorded. Um, I think they need to kind of limit Bullock, just because you play Dimwitty more, you go a little bit smaller, you make Seth work on defense. If you have Bullock in there, just kind of stands in the corner, you allow Seth to kind of rest on defense, and you can hide him. So I think Kurt, that Kurt, excuse me, is going to have to make it a make some adjustments there um you know for the warriors i mean when when they're cutting and they're moving like as crisp as they are you know it's they're really tough i mean that was that was an impressive game from them last night their a game is probably the best of anyone like their ceiling when they're hitting shots like clay and steph are and when draymond is 
just kind of think about it. You have clay, <clears throat> excuse me, that can go off. You have pool that's kind of morphed into his own that can go off. You got curve Steph. that can go off. And then Wiggins. Current. Yeah, then you got Wiggins. I mean, they just have four guys that can just go off. Draymond's great at facilitating. So, yeah, their air game is the best. They are very sloppy with turnovers. Mm-hmm. you got to figure Dallas' defense is going to be able to get some turnovers. Yep. Um, they really have no size. I thought Looney. Looney played great. He was switching on Luka, you know, somewhat containing Luka with the switch. Um, yeah, they played really well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what are the adjustments – you know, what are the adjustments kid makes and how does Luca try to get his going and everything? I think Dallas will, you know, they'll have a couple games, but I, I feel, I don't feel as good about this matchup for Dallas as I did about Memphis's matchup. The way they just sort of, some of their strengths on weaknesses for Golden State, right? Memphis is the kind of team that's like a real hustle team that gets the boards like that. Really good in transition. Dallas is a little bit different than that. And I don't know. They're, right? they're, they're more finesse. Yeah. Yeah, and they're there, and the problem is, is that Golden State is a much better, about as good of a finesse team as you can be. Yeah, they, right. So, so Golden you're like a State lesser play, like a physical team, like a yes, physical team yes. is going to give them trouble. A team with a big, like if they played against the Suns, I think the Suns would have gave them trouble with Ian. Mm-hmm. But you know, it is Giannis, you know, bigger yeah. guys where they are going bigger at the guys, paint. You know, yeah, bigger guys will give them problems. Um, the Lakers, right. you know, like anyone with a, a Jokic, the Nuggets gave them some problems because they didn't have anyone to guard him. They just did, like Denver played them pretty tough in yeah. in a couple games that were really close. You know, just a big, and it's not, it's not really or and and Memphis had a couple of bigs. We saw Stephen Adams came into the game and and like made things made life difficult for them just with his size and the way he was able to rebound. And so I don't I'm just a little bit worried that the matchup Isn't that great for Dallas And I think they'll still Probably look a lot better at home And I feel like in game two This is probably the way I'd want to attack them In game two It's up to like six and a half or so I'm seeing Golden State's like a six and a half point favorite On Friday night Yep, six and a half You know, definitely going to look You know, to play them I just kind of You know, you kind of have to You got a point value you know, shot quality, you know, has to figure is going to be coming back a little bit more, you know, to earth. So to the regression and everything. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, I think I'm definitely going to play him. So, yep. Me too. Shot. Yeah. You mentioned shot quality. I'll give them a mention before we, uh, flip on over and talk about the East. So Dallas was expected to score 16 more points on three pointers. Golden state was expected to score eight fewer on finishes at the rim. Golden State was expected to score six fewer on mid-range. Dallas was expected to play 23% better offensively. Luka was expected to, to score six more points. And the score was actually 107-105 Dallas based on shot quality. They had it as a 50-50 game. And so maybe people will say, well, was it a blowout game? And what happened was in the fourth quarter and all that? Well, at 99, it w- when... It was 99-97 was, was basically the score when, when like, the fourth quarter, when, like, blowout time started, when garbage time started. So it was always a close game with based yeah. on shot quality. It had nothing yeah. to do with garbage time, like, evening it out at all. So this – and you pointed it out earlier. What was it? 63% of the time yeah. the yeah. team that either – like, that won the wins. shot quality score comes back and wins. So I don't know if this would count in the winning because it was a 50-50, but it – 
mainly it gives you I guess no they did win 107 105 so even even with that so but it it goes back like the betting aspect of betting the NBA nothing has changed like nothing it's just still the same there's been no injuries we saw the Celtics slide move yep. because the the Horford news broke and we're but, recording this um, and the Celtics are up by 35 30 yeah. 35 yeah. yeah and the thing is is nothing's changed but with what people saw the lines move move the line i got it at four and a half you know it closed at five and a half so uh you get a two to one point movement why you know because one team killed the other team so you, there's definitely value in dallas for them. now the and the mavericks too we we, we didn't really Think that the game seven was going to hurt Them as much as Boston because it Wasn't a short turnaround and They crushed Phoenix in game Seven whereas Boston had to work A little bit harder before sort of Pulling away <laughs> later later From uh, from Milwaukee We flip over to the east and uh, We talked a little bit about Milwaukee As they're done and now it's it's Boston Miami And Boston's tied up this thing now And they're about to we're recording and they're they're Blowing out Miami here in game two Boston did this tonight without Derek White, but they did get Horford and Marcus Smart back, which was a big help for them. And off of a, a good game one, it's a game like tonight where you look at Miami and go, "Gosh, they could have really used like a Kyle Lowry," you know? Yeah, but also like you said, it like was one point ten for twelve for threes. Like mm-hmm. you know, Boston just shot lights out from threes. You know, stuff will come back to a medium. You know, Miami's going to be getting points on the road. You still have Butler, Bam Adebayo will be better. Solstra, you know, in my eyes, if you look at the four coaches remaining, if I have to count on one guy to come up with a game plan, I'm going to trust Solstra just because he's, I think he's the most well-rounded coach there. So I think Miami will kind of make this series. I think Totally agree. I think, will, I think it will go deep. I think there's definitely going to be some value on Miami come um Come Saturday, but uh, I think they need to get Bam going on the inside a, a little bit more. Um, He's been they, pretty awful. He he had yeah. he was like non-existent really in their win. He played fine like defensively in Game One, and he's at six points and nine rebounds, two assists in Game Two, and in, in his thirty minutes and only you know six shot attempts. They just didn't get him a lot of opportunities. But I completely agree with you. I've I've loved this series from a betting standpoint because game one, we both attacked Miami. Game two, we knew because they were going to win. And after they won, they were going to be a little overvalued. You go back to Boston. And now, if Boston would have won this game and you look at the metrics of the game and and you go, oh, well, Boston, you know, Boston didn't play all that well and they won. Well, this is different. Boston shot the lights out, right? Now we want to look to go against that team that shot the lights out. Yeah. 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 What I say every time, buy low, sell high. And that's, that's what you got to do. Um, the one thing though about Miami is the ball's not moving. It seems like there's too much ISO from Butler. Way too much. To be moving a little bit. They do have like Struce and, and Hero. Vincent's been shooting the ball well. You know, they have guys that can hit some knockdown jump shots. So, yeah, they just need to kind of figure – I don't use it to figure it out, but they do kind of need to figure it out, get back to moving the ball a little bit more and not being so isocentric. Isocentric with Butler. It's going to be interesting to see, like, the matchups, like, Spolster and everything, everything does. But, yeah, they, 
do kind of need Lowry there. I'm not saying like athletically nowhere in the same ballpark of what Vincent can give him athletically, but he does have that experience and that championship championship pedigree that can um, that can help the team. Yeah, he just he'll, he'd fire him up. He makes a shot or two, takes a charge or two. They need to get they need more from Hero. Where they were good also in game one was Hero did really well when he came in off the bench and was like facilitating really nicely. Yeah. He he you know he was he made some good passes. He was getting guys involved, and I think that that did really well for him. So um, you know using Hero a, a little bit like that and uh, getting another. Playmaker so it's not all Butler 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 every time Because right. Boston just dealt with this With with uh, Milwaukee they, they can do that if you want to just go Butler 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 every time they can really funnel And, and make yeah. make like difficult on him Plus, So I, I want to see A flopping contest Between Smart and uh, and Lowry, Lowry. A flop off yeah, Me that, too. That, That's going to be epic that A flop off <laughs> we, need, we need that That uh, that would be really epic but no it he, this is when it just gets fun. You know, it's just, there's so many chess matches, so many like little moving pieces you can do, you know, this is when the series gets fun. Um, you know, it seems like we haven't had a close game forever. Hopefully the Dallas game Friday night can give us some, uh, some entertainment because last two games, these have been, and then game last seven, three games. These well, really four, last four, yeah. the both last game five. sevens, five game six, 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 uh, you know, the pretty much the whole Dallas Phoenix series was blowouts Really yeah it was like really Ben that whole series Was blowouts and then even the last couple Games in the Milwaukee Boston games Were like close In like early fourth quarter Or like late third and then one team Would just go on a run late And and cross so yeah We're due for a couple close games And I'm gonna bet the uh I'm gonna bet like we will get them I think hopefully the next two because I'm going to take the dogs on the road. I'm going to take uh, Dallas the, and then probably back to Miami when they go to Boston for game three. May 11th, we had a three point game against the Bucks and the Celtics. That was the last kind of because I'm just kind of looking through the scores right now. Eight point game. Grizzlies, Grizzlies, Warriors, three point game on, on the ninth. You know what I mean? There just hasn't none of these games have been that that close. You know what? May seventh, Bucks Celtics. Yeah, they've just there hasn't been that many close games. So you know, hopefully we can see some, you know, games get a little tighter, a little bit more entertainment. But you know, it's you're making money. You know, it's, end of the day for me, that's all that matters. So, so we'll uh, we'll be talking about these games each and every day on Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets. We'll have game two of the Western Conference Finals between Dallas and Phoenix coming up on Friday, and then Saturday. Well, uh, we, it's game three is Saturday, right? Is that on the is on the schedule? I think so. Yeah, That's but I think they go sure. every other day now. I think they go every day. So yeah. yeah, so game three will be Saturday, Miami, back at Boston. That'll be eight thirty Eastern time, and that line will start popping up in just a little bit. And I'd uh, I'd be I'd be expecting to take Miami there myself. We'll uh, we'll see whatever uh, plays out in the next few days, as long as there are any crazy injuries or anything like that. But Boston with a big win tonight to tie things up. Eric uh, will be talking on Friday on Better Than Vegas, previewing the Dallas and Golden State game. So, what uh, what do you got coming up this weekend? I jo- uh, on your podcast, uh, I joined you to talk some Preakness. What else? Uh, what else is going to be on there? Uh, Preakness, Preakness talk uh, with you, my buddy Dylan, and I do a little NBA um, draft lottery talk, uh, kind of like 
winners, losers, like kind of figuring out who we think the top pick's going to be. Because there's really no consensus top pick like there was last year with Cunningham. Um, and then my boy Brandon and I, we're going to talk, uh, talk a little NASCAR. Uh, and then I'm doing the USFL stuff solo. Jim had a uh, work commitment thing come up. So, uh, yeah, it should be a, you know, should be a good time. And then over the weekend, Brian, Biho, and Brandon and myself do a little auto racing show on VTV2. We do a little F1 talk and a little NASCAR talk. Busy weekend for Eric. Make sure to give him a follow on uh, social media at etoft two one. Uh, thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again this weekend, previewing these games. Sounds good, man. Do not go anywhere, folks. Uh, still a lot more on this episode. Stay tuned. That's what G said. Big thanks to Eric for helping us out there with some NBA. Let's shift on over, and this was uh, previously recorded earlier on Friday morning, and it was part of a video stream. So if the sound is a little bit off, it's because uh, we were, I'm just taking the audio from the uh, the recording there, and uh, and then. We will uh, finish up with some Moon Knight with Tim Kelly. Better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. And talk a little bit about Saturday. Barry, uh, give us a a race that you want to dive into for Saturday, Pimlico. Race one. Race number one. Always going to get things started started right off the bat. Okay, tell us who we're looking at in the opener. Uh, Number three. Okay. and uh, Alaferis. Alaferis. Now uh, talk to us about Alaferis. Well... The thing about this race is the favorites here, uh, where Paradise lay and Shaq's way, the seven and eight. I'm not really sold on either of those horses in this spot. I mean, if you look at where Paradise lay, you know, his lifetime record, he has nine third place finishes. You see in the past performances here, he just kind of clunks up and and, kind of finishes in the money by accident a lot. Yep. Um, He's faced some pretty good company. But I, I just can't, and not at that short of a price. I, I mean, I, I can't do it. That horse will have to no. beat me every time. Me too. Same thing with Shaq's Way. I mean, this horse was on the cheap, got claimed uh, for 20000 out of a 20000 non-winners of two at Oakland. Comes out of that and, and runs in a, a, you know, a starter allowance for twelve five, and wins big. But there's plenty of speed in here. Um, you know, uh, Magic Mule might want to go. Uh, spitball might even show a little bit of speed, but I, I thought Alferis has Alferis has some some upside here. I, I know the horse is a five year old, only has only run five times, but you see the races, you know, prior to the break um, in 2020, and they they weren't any good. This horse came back a, just a totally different animal and and ran well uh, first time out in two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that seven furlong maiden special weight. And, and like I was saying earlier, you, sometimes you're just better. Yep. And I think that's what happened there. But the second race is, is, is the key uh, because that horse ran pretty good uh, in a, in a, in a race that probably was a little bit out of his scope. And on the slop. 
and in the slot, which which is the double whammy, yeah. um, at a, at a at a lower price. But you know, I think this horse is going to get disregarded. Strange things kind of happen early on cards on big days at times, and you might not see another long shot for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. But I think this one, you know, merits a good opportunity here, um, a good chance because I, I definitely don't like the favorites. Yeah, Eliferous, twelve to one, another horse that'll only cost Eliferous. you seven fifty in your stable dual lineup. So uh, as we are going through the card, Matt, anything in the early portion for you? Again, for me, I'm yeah. late. I'm going to be in like the later part of the card. So if anyone has yeah. anything prior to race number eight uh, that they want to jump into. Yeah. And so I, I also have the, I have the second race actually. Oh, so, get that uh, early daily double from Barry yeah, to Matt. Exactly. And so I like the number seven here, Sugar Ray two, who I just had to double check did scratch in today's race because uh, he was entered in as one of the stakes races. And so he scratched out. So he'll be running tomorrow. Um, eight to one on the morning line going to cost you $3,000 in stable duel. I like this horse because of the way the race shapes up. There's going to be a lot of speed. Uh, Gentleman Joe, the number three horse is the probably appropriate favorite. Uh, but He's going to be joined up front, and there's going to be a lot of horses pushing that early pace. And so I like a horse that's going to be able to come from behind. Uh, and so Sugar Ray 2, I think, makes a lot of sense here. He's cutting back in distance. I mean, he's run a mile and a half, a mile and, you know, three sixteenths before. So he's he's cutting back a little bit. He can do the distance. And so that I like to see that, especially when there's a hot pace. So that's good to see. The other thing is he's coming back second off of a brief layoff. And throughout his career, that's been a winning strategy, generally mm-hmm. speaking. When you look, his second race off the layoff is always a significant improvement uh, from a speed figure standpoint, as well as from a, just a finish standpoint. Also, if you look that last race out, that optional claimer at Parks, that was a nice field. I Am Redeemed, who won, is a really nice horse, uh, who should have won a stakes race the other day, uh, but has won a, st- a stakes yeah. race in the past. Uh, it was in the Pennsylvania Derby uh, yep. last year. And, you know, it, so I really, that was a, I remember watching that race because I have a buddy who really likes I'm Redeemed. And so that's just, I, I thought, you know, that was a very good horse that he lost to in that, uh, in that particular race. So well, you got the runner up was, here too, Matt, who won, who's yep. won four of his last five. You must exactly. Chill. Exactly. Yeah. So that was, I thought that was a really strong race. Uh, and I just think, you know, an eight to one for $3,000, a nice way to get your day started off with a pretty inexpensive play. And you can save up now if you want to go with a horse that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. If you want to uh, buy a horse like Epicenter uh, sure. in this type of race, you're going to have to save up your money to be able to afford that. So early part of the card, Barry and Matt are going to get you started. Um, let's go to. I got race four. You got the fourth? Okay. Mm-hmm. The, uh, let's go to race number four, which is uh, one of the early stakes races on the card. It's the grade three Maryland Sprint Stakes. Barry, who are we looking at in this one? Uh, I went with number uh, two, Sir Alfred James, at six to one. You know, one of a one of a lower-priced horse that, that, we, that I've been picking. Uh, but I, I felt there's a lot of speed here. I think full authority, Mr. Phil... Jackson Traveler, the five, six, and seven all have quite a bit of speed here. And it just seems like Sir Alfred James is just going to fall into the right trip, no matter what. <laughs> I know. I agree. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's gonna just be a the matter exact of... opposite race that he ran in last time against exactly. Jackie's Warrior. The total right. opposite. Exactly. I mean, there, there's so much more speed. I, I think that race, you know, if, if, uh, if they had gone any any faster, it would have benefited Aloha West. But you know, this horse finished a good fourth in a in a race that you know they were against the the race flow. 
completely. Those three, any one of those three horses would be, be. six to five or less in this race. <laughs> yeah. One to nine. Yeah. <laughs> right. One to nine in yeah. this spot. Yeah. Um, and, and, and has run good in, you know, in similar spots, like in the general George uh, ran a, ran a good race too. Um, but there's enough speed here and this horse has some races to go back to um, that really make this one tough. I, I think this is a, a really likely winner on the card at six to one, at least on the morning line. <laughs> Sir Alfred James, and that's perfect and stable, Bill, because that's uh, 5,000. That's right at your average. When we put together our lineups, you have to put together a lineup of 10 horses based on a $50,000 salary cap. And horses are you or horses are priced based on their morning lines. So a horse that is 6 to 1 would be $5,000 to use in your lineup, and that's the exact range that you need for every race. So Sir Alfred James for the sniper as uh, we continue along through the Saturday card. We're up to the eighth race, which is. Oh, I got one in the seventh. Oh, you got one before that. Yeah, (laughs) man. We got two. We got two. So we're in the skip it. Tell us uh, where we're headed in the skip it, Barry. Uh, We're going with number one street loot. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I I mean, this, this horse is, is, is right with everybody. I, I mean, this is going to be a really competitive race, and and it's tough to take a horse like Kayla Soros here. Um, you know, although the horse has been running really, really well and very razor sharp, I just don't know how long that's going to last. Uh, Cilia has run okay, has some speed, but there's alternatives. I mean, there mm-hmm. there's enough speed here where you could get a, a decent trip sitting behind horses. Um, a lot of the horses on the outside seem to probably want to have to go. And that kind of leaves a nice little pocket for street loot to kind of sit in. Yep. Um, the trainer, John Robb, he, he has gaudy numbers, <laughs> second time off the layoff. Um, and he does very well on the Maryland circuit. I mean, he, yep. he's, he's, he's one of the, the best in the business. Um, and I, I think this horse is just in the right spot at the right time, has some races to, to, to go to. I mean, all those stake races, I, I, this horse hasn't been in a, in a, in a non stakes race in quite a while. So um, Barry, so he, what, what's cool, just uh, as you said it, I was trying to play producer here. So you, you mentioned the second start off the bench numbers for this trainer. And when you go to DRF formulator, the past performance that we're looking at, you can click customize and then you can go to layoffs and you can click the layoff, just like Barry said, and apply the filters. So now we can see in the last five years, because that's the sample size that that DRF you will use for their database when you use uh, when you formalize uh, formulate statistics. The last 50 horses started. He's won with 21 of them. Second start off the bench. 42 percent with a two dollar and 86 cent. Are in a blind ROI. So Matt, (laughs) if I handed you $2 every day and you handed me back $2.86 every day, I'd say that's a pretty fair deal. Let's do that all the time if you're down. Wait a second. That, that doesn't work out for me very well. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I, I don't say, like the way this works out. It works out, out well for me, so I'll do that every time. Every time. I feel like in a, in a week or two, Matt's going to be like, how come this 86 cents keeps adding up? I thought I gave – I only gave Gino a – he asked for like a phone call, and it keeps, it keeps adding up on me, man. What the heck's going on? So great numbers yeah. for this barn here. And it's really cool to be able to like pull those numbers up and look at them, and you go, wow. That big 40 plus yeah. percent 
Not with so, a big sample size too. So right, yeah, yeah it's, about it, four to it's 10. no fluke, right? No, exactly, no, not ten. Yeah, although I I do have to say I need to give a shout out to Kayla Soros because one of my friends from high school, Nina Golden, actually takes care of Kayla Soros. Oh, wow, uh, awesome! And so Very cool. And I was like, because she started posting about Kayla Soros, and I was like. I don't know many people who would post about like a horse in the mid Atlantic like this. <laughs> and so I had to dig into it, but yeah, she uh, kind of takes care for, of her uh, when she's, you know, when she's home. So uh, oh, cool. but yeah. Uh, Love that. But yes, I like street loot as a play in this race quite a bit. Just don't, let, me, don't let Nina know that. So shout, <laughs> shout out to Nick, Kayla Soros and, uh, and Nina there. Well, if Kayla Soros wins that race, I know Nina might be doing the tango, tango, tango. Oh. Which is going to be uh, my play. See, see what yep. I did there? That transition. That, that was that was uh, that was, that was, that was beautiful. Gold. That was just. Yeah, <laughs> gold, I know. Jerry. We're here every Friday, folks. Ten a.m. Eastern. <laughs> playing the hits each and every week. It's like Anchorman. I, I know, right? I don't. I just don't think there's that much speed in this race in the dinner party. Um, no, Matt, you and I talked about none. this race on my on my no. show a little bit, right? Set yeah. piece is the horse to beat. This is a classy individual but he is a stone cold closer he's not going to be on the lead at all nova soul is not fast beacon hill i have no problem using beacon hill in exotics pick fours pick fives and stuff Mm -hmm. in stable duel he's probably a little bit higher than i would want to spend in this race because i think Mm -hmm. there's another like another viable option or two that we could spend up a little less but fits i would not talk you off using him english b fine I think I like others a little bit better, but he's fine. I don't really have any problems with him. Atone's probably the one to beat based on the trip that he sits, but he's not, I don't think, even as quick as maybe a couple others. Nathan Detroit is not fast. (laughs) I like the one who can save a lot of ground from the inside. This horse has flash speed, but can also sit a little bit. He's won his two starts at four years old. So now I've seen that he's stepped forward as a four-year-old. If he has one more leap in his next start, that puts him right on the wire. He's got some versatility. I like the number one, Tango, Tango, Tango. And at 10 to 1 in the morning line will only cost me a 1,000 in stable duel. So I'll be dancing. That's that's, that's my play in this race as well uh, from a stable duel standpoint. I, I like Atone a lot. Atone's a horse that we've talked about before on the show because he's typically gone off with double-digit morning line odds the yeah. last few times out and has provided nice value as a consistent horse. Uh, but you know, particularly three back where he finished second in the grade two Fort Lauderdale at, at a pretty big price, but it, you know, he's just at five to two. I'm not going to use him here. Uh, yeah. even though I like him a lot, Tango, Tango, Tango makes a ton of sense. He beacon Hill and uh, a tone are going to be the three that are most forwardly placed in, in all likelihood. Maybe, uh, English B is there too, but bottom line, those three are going to be right there and they're going to be just crawling around the track. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's not going to give uh set piece, anything to run into. So I really, I, I like Tango, Tango, Tango a lot as well. And the thing is Tyler Gaffleone aboard because I'd be remiss if I don't have an opportunity to bring up this horse as much as possible is going to give this horse almost the same trip. He gave Santine uh, two weeks ago on the Derby undercard, just sit right off the pace just sit right there in second and then just kick for home. And, and so I think Tyler's going to give him a great ride. And I, I like this horse a lot. I, I don't know if I, I still might like a tone to win, but from a stable duel standpoint, absolutely love a to- uh, tango, tango, tango. Let's uh, keep rolling on this Saturday card. So I love the chick Lang as just a race every year. Cause it's a cool stakes race for some of these later developing sprinters. I think we've seen 
Matoli and some very nice horses through the years sort of show up here. And then they kind of become a, a very nice horse for the next couple months. So in the chick Lang, I got two I, in this one. Okay. Ooh. Very cool. Cool. Tell us who you're looking at in the chick Lang. Start it. Um, I got number two lightning Larry and oh. also the eight, a lot of hope. We're, we're, we're yeah. I, I just don't like the, the favorites here. There's so much speed. You have Cogburn, you have Little Vic, who definitely will get out there. Old um, Homestead. Old Homestead, who I'm not sold on yet, even though his numbers look really good. He looks good on paper, but I, I still have to doubt that horse. And, you know, especially at a really short price, he's going to be tiny, a tiny price. I, I, I think he's going to be less than, uh, you know, eight to five, um, which is fine. I, I, I hope so. Um, but I, I think a lot of hope has has some upside, especially from a trip standpoint. He's more of kind of like a trip play. Plus, we're getting that same John Robb angle that mm-hmm. we got that we just spoke about. Yep. And and that could prove to be dangerous here, especially coming off you know a, a kind of prep in in the slop that they may not have even wanted to win or or tried to win, just were better than who they faced um, in a restricted allowance race. Uh, so that one merits a shot at 15 to one. I couldn't resist. And then lightning Larry comes out of a race, um, you know, a Florida state bred race and rents uh, second to King cab who came out of this race and, and ran at Gulfstream and, and got beat at the wire, kind of did all the dirty work and lost. Yeah. Um, and, and King cab is super fast. Uh, so I, I think this is kind of like the stalker of this group. And the closer is a lot of hope. So I, I want to use both of them because they're they compliment. You know, short. Yeah. Right. They're, you know, they're, they're going to sit good trips. And if they really, really go too fast up front, a lot of hope is going to have a, a ton of speed to run into. And, and then that one merits a good chance. And I think Lightning Larry, if they go a little bit slower than that, is going to be in the right spot too. So the, I couldn't separate them. I mean, you know, you twist my arm. I, I probably play uh, a lot of hope just because of the price, because I know that horse is going to not going to get bet. Mm-hmm. I've chased him a few times, Matt. I'm going to get sucked in one more time to chasing time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it. Um, oh, Gino friends so, don't let friends do this. <laughs> I know. So uh, when I can find a horse like this, who, who makes sense to me, um, I, I liked him after his, his win at Oaklawn in January. And I thought mm-hmm. he was going to be a really nice horse. And then, you know, it, when you look at his rebel, he got he got like a great trip in that race. He was the number eight. He sat really well within sort of striking range throughout a lot of that race. He was kind of close up. He sort of just loomed up, and he just didn't have it. I think he just may not want to go that far. I, I think, honestly, like looking at his races now, I can kind of easily excuse the races where he's been over a mile. And I think sometimes we get deceived, like that January 14th race. Well, he won going a mile. So how are, what are you saying, Gino? You're telling me he doesn't really want to go this far, but he did. Well, he was a heavy favorite that day. He won by seven. Horses can win at distances that they're not as the best at against inferior competition. It's when they have to dig down and work that, okay, they're probably not going to be able to perform as well against top caliber classier horses. He's, he's getting an off the trip, an off the pace trip in here. As Barry mentioned, there's a lot of speed. He's mm-hmm. cutting back to six. He's going to be launching 
and making an off the pace rally. I'm going to give chasing time another opportunity on the turn back here. And at 12 to one, he's, he's not going to, I'm not gonna have to spend up on it in stable duel. Right. So it's nice. He's seven fifty. I feel like he, this is the spot where I give him one more chance. If he doesn't run well here or isn't competitive, then I go, okay, he's not as good as I thought, but I can have reasons to at least excuse some of those races going longer for chasing time. Yeah. It's funny. I, I was talking to Chuck Simon yesterday and he gave me, he gave me a, an example. He was like, you know, when people think that horses can or can't go the distance, he said, if you would have lined up Kelly Kip, who he was, you know, assistant trainer for, um, if you line that horse up against a bunch of horses at Canterbury, he'd probably win going a mile. Yeah. However, against grade one competition, yeah, he couldn't well, even get seven eighths. No. So, you know, it, it's just all relative to the competition. I mean, most Absolutely. horses can get the distance. They, they mm-hmm. All of them can run that far for sure. No question about it. It's just against who. And, and, and that always makes the difference. And then it's on the flip side sometimes too, right? Yeah, Horses absolutely. that want to go longer, if they have to work harder going faster early, they got no shot. You know, right. they can't keep up early on, but they can run all day when you get them to relax and to sort of lope along. So it's all about uh, circumstance. It's all about particular races, competition, as Barry mentioned. Shout out to uh, Chuck, who uh, is uh, a year older now. Chuck had a birthday just the other day. Yeah, too, he so. did. Happy belated to uh, to Chuck Simon out there going in circles podcast. Very sharp fella in the world of horse racing. So uh, as we're in the chick lang, anything else to mention, Maddie, before we move along? No, I think, I mean, you guys nailed the race shape. I kind of like wheel and spring a little bit in the spot, but I, I think the choices you made all make sense. And No chalk um, zone. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> no, you know, four to one. I don't like the chalks bad, there. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's worth, tra- you, you want to beat Coburn and uh, Cogburn and Old Homestead for sure. The 11th is the James W. Murphy. We always got to say. I got one in the 10th. Oh, or no, no. I mean, oh no, the tenth is a James W. Oh, okay. Yeah, I said oh, I said it wrong. Scare me. We're, uh, we're, uh, we're here. Our buddy Joe. Got to give a shout out to Joe. Anytime yeah. we can say hi to Joe. Uh, yeah. Barry, where are you want to head in here, my friend? Crabs and beer. Oh, okay. I what, knew what, it. what else? What else right. could you want in a, this in a horse trip is to, get to Pimlico? Down so much, Barry. Just the name I, what, alone. What's going to take on so much it better? What is the yeah. thing that Bradley Cooper says in in Wedding Crashers? Crab oh, football. football. Right. I've got, this reminds me of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of, this was my why not play mm-hmm. because, you know, everybody's kind of battle tested. This horse is, is on the rise a little bit. Um, showed an affinity for the, for the turf. I mean, just jumped up 20 buyer points over anything this horse has run. And I think this horse can stretch out too. I, I don't I don't think this that was a kind of a fluke. I, I think this horse can stretch out and and be competitive in this field. I, I really don't like the ten Joe at all. It's um, a weird spot. We were talking about it. He's been yeah. on the dirt, like he's bred for the grass, but it's so funny after recent dirt success, everybody goes to the preakness off the Tessio or the Belmont or the Peter Pan, like one of those three year old prep races to kind of see where they stack up, usually not to the turf. Right. And, and I was like, well, you know, he's getting, he's going to get bet off the strength of his dirt form. Yeah. Right? Which, you know, at a short price, I can't do, <laughs> you know, that's, yep. you know, I'll let him, I'll let him beat me. Uh, same thing with Riot House. I, I, I just don't think Riot House is, is 
battle tested enough. I know the horses run well, especially at Gulfstream coming up to to Maryland. That's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, ready to perform. What do you do with that horse? Hasn't been out since November. I know. Yeah. You know, and, and it's going to be a short price. I, I can't do it. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw in this one, Barry, the four a little. Yeah, I, I agree with I, you because I don't like some of the favorites in here. You know, wow, what a summer was not far behind some of these shorter price horses last year going long on the turf and then came back on April off of a layoff prepped and now picks up Johnny V. And this horse is going to be way, way way cheaper from a stable dual standpoint, right? Well, at 15 to one is only going to cost you 500. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not all that sold on the really short prices in here as horses you'd have to spend up on. Right. And, and that's, that was kind of my thing with, with going to crabs and beard, just a horse that that's doing well, um, going longer on the turf, going to get the price you want. So why not take a chance? Also, you got lights out, Jamie Ness. And, uh, so, I mean, that's a good combo as well. So. It's crabs and beer for Barry. I'll be on the four a little bit. Wow, what a summer. Now uh, we move along to race number 11. It reminds me of uh, of uh, Timmy from South Park. Timmy. <laughs> Timmy. Timmy and Jimmy because Jimmy goes, wow what, a, wow, what a terrific audience. Wow, wow. You know, that was a, that's his thing every time. He's always yeah. like, wow, what a terrific Wow, wow. That's, whenever I see the wows, I always do it in Jimmy, in Jimmy voice in my head. Uh, I always yeah. do the, uh, what's his name, Owen Wilson. Wow. 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 Uh, <laughs> wow. Owen Wilson, uh, that one guy, Joey Molinero, who does some of the stuff yes. for ABR, he does a pretty good Owen Wilson. He does, like, because he does a lot of the impersonations and stuff. So, Ed, that's- Ed, you know, who's, you know, who does great Owen Wilson is Ed Norton. Ed, uh, Ed oh. Norton does a hysterical Owen Wilson that that's he did good. on Saturday Night Live because uh, they've worked together a bunch. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, we're continuing on. We only have a few minutes left because I know Matt's going to get on out and head to. Yeah, I'm done. Boat. In just no. a few weeks. <laughs> Barry, Barry's good to go. I want to mention uh, a couple. Barry in... built a stable in the first seven races. And like, he's done. Yeah, he's well, done. now he can kick back and, and just make sure everybody else has got to fight for points. And Barry's already got them all. Right? Hey, that's right. already got 380 points. That's you know? the front runners. We're going to speed. We're going to speed. We're going to the lead. So here's the horse that uh, that caused the, the Kentucky Derby upset, Ethereal uh-huh. Road, because he scratched out of the Derby. And that let Rich Strike get in the Derby. In race number 11, which is the Sir Barton, the horse who, I mean, I guess I don't really love, like, I'm okay with rugs um, in here, but I have to give a shout out. Um, Andrew <laughs> Champagne and Darren Zocali came on my show, and we were talking about uh, the Saturday undercard for Pimlico. I asked them to give me a couple best bets for the day. And so they both sent me a text before we started, and, and they told me the races that they liked. So I would know to sort of to talk on along the way. And they both had a horse in the 11th race. And I'm like starting to to record the segment and we're talking. I'm like, why do I feel like I'm getting set up for something here? (laughs) Right? Like, I was like, I know these guys. And Andrew couldn't like hold it. He kept being like, so a race 11, you know, like race 11, we've got it. You know, like Andrew, Andrew's like all excited to like remind me about it multiple times. So we get there and I'm like, okay, I I know that something weird is going to happen. And Andrew and Darren are just like one, two, three. I said, we're moving on up, moving uh, on up. And they both start singing <laughs> the Jeffersons and I'm just laughing. It was funny. So, uh, Mr. Jefferson has to win now after they went through all of that trouble <laughs> to, to set it all up for, uh, for Mr. Jefferson. So I wanted to give a shout out to those guys with Mr. Jefferson there. Uh, one or two more to mention Matt, as we 
finish up and then uh, at least just get to the Preakness and give a, a thought yeah, there. I'll, I'll just, yeah, in race 11, I'll just uh, very quickly say, uh, I really like Brooklyn Diamonds at 10 to 1 yep. uh, as a horse that's making a big step up, but, uh, you know, went from six furlongs to a mile and a 16th last time out, was gaining ground, passing horses. Uh, again, I, I would expect to see another progression in speed figures. That was over a muddy sealed track last time. So uh, I, I just, I, I think that's a horse that, has a lot to uh, improve upon. Gets Florent Giroux now, and so I uh, just uh, that's that's one that I really like playing because there's going to be a lot of speed in this race, and you yep. want to look for deep closers because B Doc and Uniki are sprinters who are going to be stretching out for the first time, probably setting a pretty fast pace. So I, I like Brooklyn Diamonds at a cheap price, inexpensive price. Sorry, Barry. There you, you gotta, go. <laughs> and you got to say it though. My only problem with that was. You got to say it like gaining ground when you say gaining ground. You have to say it in that in that way, in that sense. Uh, as we continue on to race number 12, it's the Jim McKay turf sprint. Uh, shout out to one of my uh, favorite television characters of all time, uh, Dylan McKay from mm, Beverly oh Hills, boy. Beverly Hills mm-hmm. 90210, whose son actually in real life. Uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry is a wrestler for AEW. Oh, Very yeah. good wrestler. And you, he's, you can see it right in his face. He's got the look just like his dad, just like Luke. He's got the sideburns that come down. Real good looking kid. So uh, shout out there. That's what I love about talking races and racing cards. Because you never know the tangents that you're going to get on. <laughs> TV shows, movies, <laughs> music. Horse, horse racing names give you a right? lot of opportunities There's so to go so many. On you just yeah. never know the, the roads that you're going to run down on a, on a racing card. Uh, turf sprints are always tough races in, in stable dual lineups because like Barry was saying, there's chaos. Like you, you get, get a horse and then out of the gate, they're in trouble and you're in, in a bad spot. Territory yeah. is classy. He'll take a lot of money. Seven cents will take a lot of money. Um, I thought the nine, if you want, didn't want to quite spend up as much Hollis who has races that are good enough to win this race. I know that because in fact, one of those races was this race two years ago. <laughs> that he won <laughs> so um the turf sprint remember that was when the race was run in october because in the pandemic he was 11 to 1 that day and so he ran he won the october version of the turf sprint he came back in this race last year and just didn't really fire and that was a race that sent him to the bench so we can make an excuse for it because he went to the bench for a little while and he has not been on the grass since but I think returning to the turf will wake him up a little bit. He likes it here at Pimlico. He's got some speed. I think he can sit a little bit, but from out there, I'd imagine they're going to want to go with Raylu. So Hollis is kind of one of those middle price horses. If you don't want to spend all the way up, I would be okay with using there. Um, I like Grateful Bread here. Grateful Bread? Very mm-hmm. consistent horse. Yes, just and that's the only reason why. That's yeah. the only reason why. Yeah. 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 And, you know exactly and he what can, you're going to get. He in a in a turf sprint. What's nice about him, he can show some speed. But what he's proven to us is like, okay, other horses go. I'm fine sitting and picking up some pieces. He can do that, and that's what you want a horse that's got a little versatility in a turf sprint that can adapt. Again, uh, you're telling me you're going to have a jockey who's won fifty over fifty percent of their races at the meet so far, right? Trying to navigate the trip. So you're in nice shape with Grateful Bread. Let's uh, just give some thoughts on the big one this weekend. It is the Preakness. It's going to go as race number 13 on Saturday, the second jewel of racing's Triple Crown. We won't have the Kentucky Derby winner in here, but we will have the horse who's been the best three-year-old so far this year, Early, uh, and, and that's Epicenter. Epicenter has been the most consistent. Epicenter, is, since the LeCompte, where he was a runner-up, 
He's come back and he's won a couple graded stakes races. He was a very good second in the Derby and he is the top of this division. So, you know, it's disappointing that the Kentucky Derby runner isn't running winner isn't running in the Preakness, but I think if we would have said two weeks and a day ago that Rich Strike isn't running in the Preakness, I don't think anybody would have had a problem with it. Right. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm actually more disappointed in like Zandon not running. Like that's yeah, more of a like that. to me. And I, yeah. and I understand why he's not running, but like from a, from a horse racing standpoint, that shapes up to be a much more f- fun and exciting race than whether or not Rich Strike is running in this spot. I Absolutely. mean, I just, you know, mm-hmm. to me, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to get past epicenter in the spot. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, this, this is good. Yeah, Barry, in in our uh, draft that we did, you had first overall pick and you picked Epicenter. And sure I did. I think the best way I, I was trying to describe it to someone else was if you would have asked me like around the Louisiana Derby time and then he wins, do you think Epicenter wins the Kentucky Derby? Or like, how do you feel he is as a horse with the Triple Crown races coming up? I would have said, I think he is the most likely winner of the Preakness mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. Just with the way that his running style is, the way that he races, he's got speed, but he can make an early move. He can sit off a little bit. I think with his style, the quick turnaround probably won't be as difficult for him to kind of keep out of traffic. He can just kind of put himself in a good spot. And then the way this race ends up uh, shaping up, it's not the strongest in the world. I think there are three or four horses, at least for myself, that I could completely eliminate right off the bat. And (laughs) I just don't think they have a chance to win. And so now it comes down to a group of three or four others that I feel like if you're playing this race exotically, you probably, if you're playing tries or supers or whatever, I don't think you're going to go A, B, C, D, right? You probably don't pick the top four choices and hook them up. That's, that would never be uh, any type of advice I'd give someone in, in gambling. I try to tell them to take a, a little bit of a stand, but Barry, I can't get away from epicenter running really well this weekend, whether that that's winning or losing, I think you're just going to get a very good account of himself. And from everything I've seen, that is better than any of everybody else's a game. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of stands out here in my opinion, um, but he can get beat. I mean, yeah. he, he's not a, he's not a lock. He probably no. shouldn't be six to five, but he's going to be lower than that. Probably. Yeah. Um, What's interesting but, is he's only gotten beaten by closers. And I don't right. think there's a close. I mean, maybe creative minister. I mean, but I just, I maybe secret oath. I mean, I, I just don't know if there's a closer good enough to beat him in this race. Right. It, that horse can finish uh, despite yeah. being on the lead and, and, yeah. um, or close to the pace. Uh, I, I just, it, it, they're going to have a, their hands full trying to beat him. Yeah. yeah. I, he, I, I, it's, it's little, but I even like the fact that he, the fairgrounds, he's got the mile and three sixteenths race under his belt mm-hmm. and give him just like a little bit more foundation there. And, it's, I, I didn't think he, I was worried in the Derby immediately when he was like five lengths out of it. I was like, uh Oh, if you backed epicenter, you're probably nervous right now, but he was fine. He was fine sitting back and then moved response. He's really push button. Like he's, yeah, he's, he's gotten better. I mean, yeah. he's, 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 he's grown into himself maturing right? and, and yeah. relaxing and just getting more comfortable and starting to really agree with Joel. Like I think he could ask him, and he's the type of horse who I think like he's got multiple gears. You can ask him for some speed. A couple others go, okay, let's sit, let's re-engage. And then here, let's ask one more time and go. Like, I think you can continue to ask this horse and he's going to give you a little bit. Other horses don't like the con- com- comparing him to secret oath. 
And the reason why I'm a little cold on the Philly winning this particular race, um, it's not that I don't think she's good enough. She's she proved she her race in the Arkansas Derby, even though the Arkansas horses maybe aren't quite as good as the others. That was a race against the boys where she ran third with trouble. She proved that she's not far off of what it would take to win a race like this. I don't necessarily know if I love her running style against like the best horses in this group. Think about Rachel. Think about Swiss Skydiver, like the recent Phillies who have faced the boys. They're a lot faster early than her. They just have more early speed. Like Secret Oath is a closer. She's a mid-pack to closer who is going to need things to break right for her to navigate traffic. And then she's going to have to run by and pass all the boys. It's a little different when you're out front and they got to come get you. You're Rachel. You open up five and you dictate the race and you run them off your feet. You're Swiss skydiver. You're sitting right there. And then you make that early move in between horses and they can't quite go on with you. I don't, I don't know if she quite has that brilliance to compete with the boys and she's going to be a sort of shortish price. Wasn't Swiss skydiver like 11 to one. Yes. Didn't like she that. float like Mark. absurdly up high. So that's, it's well, my the only caveat I'll say is like a counterpoint to what you're saying is that the rest of these horses are not that, that good. Good. You're absolutely And that right. works in her favor 100%. because, <laughs> because if she has to come wide and, and kind of go around horses, she's going to go around those, those slower horses. Well, like, you're, you know. She's not going around Zandon and Mo Donegal right. and all of them. Right. Or she's, that is a great point. She's not trying to pass the speed horses and then have to close with the great closers too, you know? Cause like Matt was saying, she might be the real true closer in this field, Matt, or, yeah. or one of the better ones. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she's got the, she's got that kick. And I mean, you saw it in the Arkansas Derby, even with a bad trip that when she unfurls that kick, she starts picking horses off quickly. Uh, and so the, the bottom third of this field is very gettable. And so I, I, she's, she's going to run well. I think I, I, I'd be shocked if she did not run really well. Yeah. The, the horse that I keep coming back to, and it's the horse that you ended up drafting actually that I drafted in the first one that I was super high on in the Derby is simplification. Yep. Uh, I just think he makes a lot of sense breaking from that number one post position is kind of the opposite of the Kentucky Derby in that three of the last six winners of the Preakness have come out of that number one hole. Yep. Um, Johnny V is going to be aggressive to get him sitting mid pack early. You know, he was sitting 15th in the Derby, which was the right type of ride. Uh, hey, he got a good trip. Shape. He got, he a, got great a great trip, trip from Jose. He just yeah. had to go wide, but like, you know, he sat in the right, he did the right thing. They made the right tactical decision. Um, but this horse is just so versatile and yeah. that's what I love about him. And he's just so professional too. He just always turns in a good effort. Like he's just an honest horse and he's mm -hmm. got great foundation. And I, I, I could see, you know, he's going to, and he's going to give you a little bit of value at six to one. You're going to get six to one, I think, yep. because early voting is going to take money. Epicenter is going to take money. Secret Oath is definitely going to take money. And Creative Cause is going to take, or Creative Minister, I should say, is going to take a bunch of money. So I feel like Simplification is going to hang around there at six to one or maybe even float up. And I, I like including him in exotics because I think he's going to run well and show out. Yeah, I don't know if at the end of the year or a couple years down the line, we look back and go, Simplification was the best of that group. He might be the most honest, most consistent. Like, I, this feels like the race for him to run uh, his best, biggest one and compete with these horses. Because like we said, it's not the deepest group. He's yeah. battle-tested. 
I have no concerns with him coming back short on short rest because we've seen him do it all year where he never needed a whole lot of time. He came back January to February, a month, February to March, a month, March to April, not even a month, April to May, a month again. He's never needed five, six, eight weeks in between races like some of these other horses do. He feels like he's versatile. He can sit. He can make an early move. Like you said, I think he'll be a lot more forwardly placed in here from like a win betting standpoint on this race. If you come down to the Preakness and you're just watching and you want to get a little bit of action, if he is five to one plus, he feels like the right horse to bet for me with, with what I'm looking for. And I do think Epicenter is a little bit better than him, but if, if their chances to win this race are based on price, I think they'll be comparable with Epicenter's chance to win based on his short Mm -hmm. price and simplifications chances to win based on what will be five to one or plus that's the Preakness fellas, just a a small group, but always so much intrigue when we're at the, uh, the second jewel of racing's triple crown, Maddie, thank you so much, buddy, for hanging out with us. I know you're going to, I got one for his dad. I got one for his dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, In the, in the, in the GP, uh, the Gulfstream free one today. Last, last race, number seven, uh, Dolly's heart. All right. I'm telling Blaine right now. All right. He's going to tell him. Thank it. All in. Throw all the savings, everything. Gary doing some extra work for us today. Also helping out Mr. DeSantis there. Uh, Barry, my friend. That's right, because I'm not Mr. DeSantis. My dad is Mr. DeSantis. You're not Mr. DeSantis. You're Matthew. You're Matthew. No matter how old I get, I will always be Matthew. You're always Matthew. And uh, Barry, buddy, thank you so much, my friend. Great work as always. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I hope you crush it there. And make sure everyone to uh, to tune in to Big Mondays and to the Going in Circles podcast with Barry and with Chuck. Maddie, this has been a fun week for you. You've had a lot of content out there, and this is uh, sort of like home court advantage for you. So yeah, hope you gotta, have a blast. We gotta Go take a nap that. on Sunday. I know. I yeah, man. Well, well deserved. Hangover. Well yeah, exactly. Well just hangover. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much again. Um, and folks, we'll be here with you every week, Friday morning, ten o'clock a.m. Eastern time, 7 a.m. Pacific time. We'll do just what we did. We'll go through a couple days worth of cards. We'll give out a bunch of different price horses to include. We'll have a little bit of fun. We'll yell and scream a bit. I'll sing a, a little bit. So so uh, put those notifications on for BT, or I was going to say for BTV bets. Look at what I'm so used to better than Vegas, the place that I'm going. Flip those notifications on for Stable Duel because every Friday when we do this, you'll be alerted right away. Uh, we always stream it right from the Stable Duel Twitter And as soon as we come, you'll be rocking and rolling and you'll hear this song each and every Friday morning, Joey Cleveland and the soothing sounds of the stable dual theme song. Just uh, wanted to give you a few extra chances at some money at Pimlico on Saturday. Some opinions from Barry, from Matt, and myself. We have that show every weekend, Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. We go for about an hour and a half or so, and we give out best bets for multiple tracks all the game all the tracks that have stable dual contest and all the horses that we give out are like five to one or over nothing under 
everything is prices. It's the no chalk zone there. We're going to finish up with Moon Knight Episode 5. We've been a little backed up with these, but we've got Episode 5 coming and then Episode 6 coming uh, soon on probably the next episode, uh, the next uh, release podcast with Tim Kelly. And then we'll get Doctor Strange. Then we'll shift on over Obi Wan. We got a little Kenobi. Coming up soon, so there's a lot Happening in Marvel and in Star Wars In the next few months, we'll be talking about it all Right here on That's What G Said We are back uh, talking A little MCU, talking Everything going on in the world of Marvel There has been a lot happening as uh, Moon Knight, the Disney Plus TV show just finished up So we have the last couple episodes to to finish up uh, With you here and then Doctor Strange Was just released in the last week or so TK we don't have to give out any uh, Like spoilers or anything but give me I, I think you saw Doctor Strange too What were, what were just some of your, your quick thoughts On Doctor Strange I love the Raimi of it all That was Man. the thing that stood out to me the most The, the, the flair that he brought to the table uh, It felt like a Sam Raimi movie there hadn't been an, a Marvel movie or an MCU movie, I should say, that uh, really brought the director's flair to the table uh, quite as much as this did. And uh, I, I really appreciated it. Yep, it was spooky. It, they yeah. leaned into some of the, the spookiness. And I will say one thing that I'll give a little teaser for. If you did not watch some of the other Disney Plus uh, TV shows this is actually a movie that you probably will have to have watched those to get a really good feel for what happened. If you didn't watch WandaVision and you didn't watch What If, you will be a little bit lost in some spots. So those are two shows that definitely yeah. play directly into Multiverse of Madness if you want to do some prep work. If you haven't watched that movie yet, Tim and I will jump in and we'll deep dive that movie for you in the next couple of weeks. We'll give you plenty of time to watch it, and uh, we want to go watch it at least one more time so we can uh, we can really um, – Get a good feel for everything when we uh, when we break it all down for you. But now let's get back to Moon Knight and finish up the final two episodes. We are going to talk about episode five right now. We'll have episode six coming for you, and then Doctor Strange uh, recap coming in the next uh, week week or two. TK, this episode five, which was titled Asylum, this was a tough rewatch, and and not because the episode was bad; it was fantastic. It was just heavy, heavy material that you're dealing with here. This was like. Um, uh, a, a therapy session Episode 5 it, yeah. it, It's like what people have to encounter When they go to, to visit a therapist And you have to Revisit all of these Memories throughout your life That were very hard That were memories that maybe some of us have blocked out of our minds And It was We go down memory lane And we get a trip through Mark's life And everything starts to make a lot more sense In this episode yeah, I remember at, at one point earlier on um, uh, in our recaps, one of us mentioned there was going to be like fla- uh, some major flashbacks coming. And this episode was that. It was like all flashbacks. Uh, and it was great. We've been doing this every- in, the, in the shows <laughs> a little bit recently, right? Because I think this is like that penultimate episode where right. they did it in WandaVision where we went back to Sokovia and we saw Wanda as a girl. We did it a little bit in Falcon and the Winter Soldier Where they sort of went back to Louisiana And were kind of doing the training montage And figuring things out You And you'd get some flashbacks So it, this is a, sort of a And it's not a bad trope But it is a trope that they've been kind of getting into With these, uh, with these TV shows Where sort of right before the finale They're going to go back in time And really set everything up for you Yeah, it's great It's just an opportunity to kind of reset 
reevaluate things uh, before the, the, the big finale. And it, it gives us a chance to really understand the backstory uh, of our, our main character here, or in this case, two of our, our main characters, Mark and Steven. Uh, we get answers in this episode, but uh, surprisingly, actually, they kept some things behind closed doors uh, still. And I was I was I was a little bit surprised that um, you know we weren't introduced to a third uh, personality in this episode. Yeah, that was something that we, what's intriguing because you and I have actually this is one of the few times where we've actually seen the next episode. Also, I think this has happened maybe two or three times where we've talked about a show where we've seen multiple episodes because normally we'd be doing this on a week to week so we wouldn't even really know what's coming next that's why the de- the dynamics a little bit different now because we actually know how the season finished and we know what it was like yeah. in episode 6 but you're right they they still had plenty of uh of things to finish up to dot your uh you know, dot your I's and cross your T's there in in episode number 6 yeah. so this fifth one was really a lot of Revisiting tough moments I mean we we opened the episode in the cave Where young Mark's brother Randall Died and And then we see his mom Blaming the death On him and that's the That's the start of the episode In We we really get A sense of how I mean let's be honest how awful his mom was to him Yeah awful I mean he, He was a kid he made a mistake. Did he want his brother to die? No. We see what happens in this episode. They went out playing like two brothers normally would. They were playing Tomb Buster and they went into this cave that they've probably been in a million times, but it was raining before and they got trapped in there. Yeah. It was it was an awful horrible tragedy, but to see the way that his mom blames it on him, yells at him in front of people at the funeral at the Shiva his mom throughout the years won't come down and celebrate his birthday with him yeah. and then, and then when she does years later she's just drinking and yelling at him screams at him wants to hit him it's uh it's tough to watch tk and we we actually see how steven was created mark mm-hmm. created these alternate personalities to deal with the trauma that he was going through as a child with his mom and his family yeah, and that, that trauma is exactly what birthed uh, the alternate personality. Um, it was a coping mechanism for him to uh, to create like an alternate life where he could be a, a hero that didn't have a mother who who hated him. I mean, quite literally, he uh, manifested in this this relationship with his mother after she died. You know, we, uh, spoiler alert: we find that out later in the episode. Uh, but um, that. It wasn't just the initial trauma of the death of his uh, brother. It, it was the sustained trauma of, you know, the disdain and abuse from his mom that really caused it. Really, yeah, it's really tough to watch back. It just kind of makes you feel uncomfortable when you're yeah. watching it and knowing what it does to Mark throughout his life. You referenced a third personality, and there are a couple of things in this episode and maybe throughout the first few that people – Thought may have looked like there was someone else in there besides Mark and Steven. There's a moment early in this episode where we were kind of flashing between these different realities where Mark and Steven are together trying to figure things out. And then we see Mark sitting back in that doctor's office at the mental hospital with Dr. Harrow. And in the one particular scene, his face is really beat up and bandaged up. 
And he's mm-hmm. talking like a totally different person. Like his voice is mm-hmm. like, hey, you're going to go to go to I'm going to you want to know you want. Like it's just nothing right. like at all. And I think this is the Jake Lockley was the guy that we've talked about as this was something that I think people were were thinking might have been Jake. We'll find out a little bit more about that in episode six. But there were there were little hints that there's a lot going on and there might have been more than than just these two people throughout the first five episodes. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it was pretty clear, especially when we did, a, you know, just a little bit of digging and, and know a little bit about the backstory that, you know, the, the Moon Knight comics do have a third personality. Uh, there were so many moments where they they uh, tipped their hand there and they, they, they showed us what they were kind of setting up. And uh, I got to say, uh, it, it was minimal. Uh, I'm jumping ahead to episode six just a little bit here, but. Uh, we got a taste of it in episode six, and I really liked it. I, I liked how it went, uh, and too. I was surprised it was so minimal. Uh, but you know what? They're saving more for uh, maybe a season two. That's exactly what it looked like. It looked like in the last couple of weeks we flipped from this being called a so for episode six being called a series finale to a season finale. So mm. it does look like there are plans for a second season, and in, in seeing the way things ended. In uh, in episode six, it feels that way, and I agree with you. I I wanted, I kept thinking, wow, this is going to be too late. This is going to be another right. one of those instances where they they introduce things too late, and it's going to feel like too much. But the way they did it moving forward, yeah. I think, was better than had they than they introduced someone in the middle of episode five because that might have felt too late. Just getting a little taste of a character, that's what the MCU has always done well. Is that mm-hmm. if they're not ready to put them in the movie. Or this show then don't Don't right. just give us a taste of them I think I would have hoped I think there are a few instances where I, I kind of Wish that might have happened like maybe In mm. Eternals or maybe in mm. Hawkeye yeah. you know with, Like with Echo or some of those stories Like there could have been maybe just little Little uh, Teasers at the end mm. To what's coming forward Because I felt like they introduced some characters And some of those but they didn't get fleshed out And now you don't really care about yeah. them as much yeah, they amounted to almost uh, extended cameos anyway that just kind of distracted from the core of what you wanted to see, which was like a Hawkeye story uh, in that example. So I, I totally get what you mean yep. Uh, yep. there. But this felt so balanced, like, and they juggled so much. I mean, in the end, we're, we're looking at a show that was so many things uh, and brand all new. at once. Brand new. Yeah. A brand, and, and brand and new. It wasn't one that was was able to, in a that's what we love about the MCU how it all connects but sometimes it can be a little bit lazy in that right right you can you can just lean back into your, these old relationships and these old inside jokes and these old stories this was none of that this was completely brand new everything was different i mean the attention to detail on Tauret this life-size right. hippo god where she, i mean it's incredible and she Tells uh, she breaks the news. Spoiler alert, Mark, you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. And this hospital is the duot. They are looking like around in this mental ward. And and this is the realm of the dead. So what we find out is that the MCU afterlife takes different forms for different people because human yeah. minds cannot comprehend what it actually is. So they for each person individually, it'll take the form of something that they know. Something that's familiar to them Hence Mark jokes uh, We're insane so uh, it's a mental hospital For us And I love that It's 
it's cool because for you, what the duot might be would be different than for me. Yeah, it makes it personal, it, it, and uh, that's how it would be, right? Like, um, it, it's it's a little bit of a callback in a way to the way ca- the Captain Marvel mythology worked. Um, I'm I'm blanking on the name specifically, but there's that character in, in Captain Marvel that looks different uh, to whoever is is uh, meeting them. And it, it, it's usually somebody that they respect. It, it'll kind of manifest mm-hmm. in, in their mind. Mm-hmm. And that's it's, an idea we've, we've seen before. You know, like, how could you, like, understand the face of God if you were to see it or something, like, higher beyond yourself? Isn't in Dogma, really cool. Alanis Morissette plays God? Yeah, isn't it in yeah exactly. And, and then um, the other one that it reminds me of a little bit was It, Pennywise, who mm, takes the form right. of whatever terrifies you. You know, when the child, Great when example. they all go to hunt them— He's a clown for someone, for the girl, he's her dad who beats her. You know, for the other mm-hmm. one, it was the werewolf that scared Richie, kid Seth Green, you know, in, right. in the that painting movie. coming alive. Exactly. Yeah. And did this. All oh, different yeah. versions. Love yeah. the original it. And that's and you can sort of sense that. I always thought that was terrifying where there was a monster that could shape shift to whatever scared you the most. Oh my gosh. That's right. that's brutal. And that's that's <laughs> what this is in their head. Now this weird It's sort of soothing but also Scary at the same time That they're in yeah. this this mental ward And what they have to do here Now for the, the, the Bulk of this episode and Into episode 6 is They need to balance their, sco- their Scales They need to balance their souls They need to be completely honest with one another Face their fears They need to go back down memory lane Right now and fill in all the gaps and fill in all the blanks. And when I say they, I mainly mean Mark. Mark needs to be the one to open up and let Steven know what's really going on, what's really happened. Why am I the way I am? Why am I a murderer and a mercenary? It doesn't just happen. Right. Kids don't just go, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a murderer, right? Something happens to them, someone changes them, there's an event, multiple events, and we really see why. With Mark and um, It's sort of yeah that's sort of what What they the point of this episode is Is they have to get on the same page They have to actually Balance yeah. their souls which The visuals of this while they're On the boat yeah. just kind of out of Nowhere it's like oh they're in the mental hospital He opens the door and now They're on this boat like This massive boat Like floating through uh, the dunes and it's a boat that contains all of life's memories so we get we get pretty deep and we get into some some crazy stuff here but when you when you watch it and kind of rewatch it, it it all makes a lot of sense it's very simplistic ideas yeah and it's drawing from the, the actual mythology it's it's making the the mythology real and and weaving it into the you know the fabric and the mythology of the MCU i love that they Mentioned uh, the ancestral plane, tying together the, um, the the Wakandan mythology that we've already been introduced to. So you can imagine that there there's uh, a, a way that this also ties into the the Norse side, you know, with Thor, uh, maybe um, Valhalla or something. They can make reference to at some point. But I love the idea that these extra powerful um, entities that are you know beyond our realms are 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 kind of uh, Communing together on these like higher planes of existence, and that uh, that's just the way that it's always been. And 
uh, it, it's really cool. I think you know it, it's a fam- it's familiar because we've been introduced to Egyptian mythology growing up in grade school and you know studying it and uh, you know as we get older a little bit. But uh, this this is always fun. You know, like when you can create historical fiction and draw out your mythologies in a really detailed way that actually you know fits in with with reality as we know it. That's, There's never that's been... what the MCU specializes in yeah Yeah, there's never been anything that's been close to to doing it like the mcu does never right the way they tie in things and even here they in these last couple episodes they're gonna basically tell us that alexander the great was the last avatar for amit you know and it's like oh and then it's like oh there's history you know uh we joked about the stuff in loki with db cooper you know and then like some of the other stuff uh that it just really cool stuff throughout history that we saw in Shang-Chi. They were referencing this happened in the, the Ten Rings. And now um, now we we get a, a sense when Marvel does this. It's just they, they get it. They know exactly what they're doing. And they feel like they really put a lot of, uh, a lot of effort into making it make sense. And yeah. I don't know why the Eternals is the only exception to that. It's I know. It's the one that feels the most ham-fisted. And it's it does. Like, Weaving of uh, historical events into the, I know. the narrative. It does. It does. Like there, there are one or two things where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it just, it gets too long. The atomic bomb being yeah. the, the biggest one. The biggest one. Too much and too just like, oh, well, you, that was not necessary. Like you right. really didn't need to go there. But we do need to go back inside the mental hospital because Mark and Stephen they need to balance their scales. Um, Tower actually pulls out Their hearts And we see them they look sort of like marble And It's funny because while they're sitting there on the boat And they're looking around Mark is like hey let's push the hippo off And start driving the boat (laughs) (laughs) We can commandeer this thing (laughs) No we're not going to kill Tower We're going to do the like Mark doesn't want to do the work He doesn't want to do the therapy so bad That he's willing to just Hey, let's push this hippo off the boat. I, th- I think the two of us can drive this thing. I was like, "What?" I'm curious to find out what would have happened if they went down that that path. If they could have actually pulled it off. I know. So th- this is where we are right now, and they have to walk back inside the hospital and go into all of these rooms that basically contain different memories and different stories through Mark's childhood, and Mark. And Steven walk into this room where all of Mark's murder victims are, all of the people that he's killed. I thought this was incredible as they like walked around and you could see these different people that he had he had killed. And he said, these are criminals and murderers and predators that Khonshu wanted dead. And Steven said, you remember all of them? He said, you tried taking someone's life and tell me you'd forget about it. So it's like they haunt him. You know, because he's as much as he's a murderer and a mercenary, he doesn't want to be. Con- he's he's sort of the instrument right. for Conchu. He's a troubled dude, and we find out a lot of this stuff. I don't think he probably even remembered doing himself. This may have been Jake stuff here. You know, who knows some of these things? So it, this was this was kind of heavy looking around, seeing all his victims, and then there's a little kid in the room, yeah. and Stephen goes. Mark, who's this kid in the room? Why is there a child in the room with all of the people that you've killed? And 
Right. Mark does not want Steven to follow that kid TK because we find out that's that's his brother Randall who we are going to sort of watch what happens and how he dies. Yeah, and that's the trauma that that's buried and like Steven is completely unaware of uh, that, that whole memory, you know. I mean, he 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 was created uh out of the aftermath of that memory but just completely blissfully unaware of it. Um kind of reminds me of uh we talked about uh Severance briefly here. One of the reasons um, on that show, the main character be, you know, goes through severance is because he's uh, he, he's dealing with the death of his wife. And so he's dealing with that trauma and that grief, that loss. And he doesn't want to think about that for half the day. So he decides to literally basically put a, uh, a, a divider in his brain so that he's, he can't think about anything uh, related to that uh, you know, during the days only in, in his work mind. Uh, all all day, so it's it's a it's a fascinating thing to think about, you know, compartmentalizing and how we do that and how we we live our lives, you know, uh, pushing to the side or to the back of our minds uh, things that would get in the way, you know, these traumas, these these deep seated fears, uh, and how we have to uh, just kind of soldier on in the in the what however we can. Uh, and in this case, it's it, it it manifested in a way that was much more extreme, you know, a, a literal uh, divide in, in his brain, in his in his mind. So we we flash now to a childhood memory as Stephen follows Randall into a room and they're transported back to a barbecue. And this was the day that Randall dies. And we see the family having fun in the backyard, joking around. The two boys talk about how they're going to go play And young Mark and Randall With his mother Their goodbye line is Laters Gators The the, the sign off that we hear from Steven all the time And that's that's where he got it As a kid Ugh, Man this is, this is sad stuff These are the young brothers playing that Tomb Buster Show And they try have their roles Of Dr. Grant and uh, and Rosser, and so they're out playing like any two brothers would in the you know in the forest, and they're playing around, and they get over to this cave, and I'm sure they've been in this cave hundreds of times, but it starts to rain, and Randall mentions it. You know, it's raining. We shouldn't really go in there. Mom says, you know, he's the younger brother, and Mark's says, no, don't worry. Like any older sibling would. This is not absurd. This is something that happens. All the time I mean I did this with my sister Over and over she's a couple years younger than me We're not supposed yeah. to do that mom says no Oh it's not a big deal you go up there And you get hurt but it doesn't it's end kind of up Bullying too it is, he's, it is he's, bullying. He, he's condescending he's like don't be a baby He yeah. goads him into it Like uh, that it's got to add to the uh, The sense of guilt and trauma To the Absolutely. whole thing he forced him into this He's the yeah. reason why they he pushed Him in in there And oh like we see the boys enter the cave, but we don't see them come out. And we don't really see any specifics. Like, we don't see them struggling in there and dying and gasping because, in reality, to, you know, there's a lot of laws with child actors about stuff right. that you can do in water, you know, and, and, and oh, in, sure. in situations like that, which is not safe or, and they don't want to let you put, Kids in that in that spot a lot, so you won't see things, which is great. I don't, we don't need to see yeah. it, but it's harrowing you, enough. Yeah, it's just it, the implication because, of it all. The fear the way, in in Mark as well. Yeah, and the as way he's watching that it. 
it, it's like I think it's Steven who follows them in. Right, right, right. But he's not really there. He's watching, he's reliving this memory. And and you actually hear Steven like trying to stop them. Boys, don't go in there. No, no. Hey, boys, where are you? Like, no, no, no. He th- he thinks that he might be able to even help the situation. And it's just, oh, it's brutal. It's it's really, really rough as we we see them following this. And and Mark gets blamed for the death of his brother. His mother is never able to forgive him. As we get these flashes of the funeral for Randall, the the Shiva, because they're a Jewish family, and it, he, his mom is like in front of everyone, blaming him. She's literally screaming at him. What are you doing? This is your fault. You were supposed to protect him. And the, the people, the other family or the other people in the funeral, they're even trying to, you could see, tell her, hey, look, yeah. you can't, come on, you can't get like this with him. He didn't mean to do this. But she, she's never able to get over it, Tim. Mm-hmm. And we see this montage of Mark growing up. We see a couple of his birthdays, one where his mom won't even come down and celebrate with him. Then another where she does come down, but she's got a. She's got a glass in one hand and a decanter of alcohol in the other. She's double fisting. She's like, her her glass isn't even done, and she's ready to fill it up with the next one. And then we see him, like, in high school as he's, like, 18, maybe even older, and he just has to leave. And he tells his dad, like, I can't deal with this anymore. I got to go. So he has to leave his family at a very young age. And so it's so sad when you see things like this happen because it was one unfortunate event that – was a horrible tragedy that nobody wanted and nobody meant to happen. Mark made a terrible mistake that he will have to live with forever. And then yeah. he lost his mom on top of that. Like that's, yeah, you know, that's too much. The, the, the uh, that sustained trauma of, of the mother's abuse. And, you know, she's a sympathetic character too, although what she's doing is unforgivable truly. Um, but it, it, it's a, uh, it, you got to sympathize with her too. a woman losing her, her child that she, she lost her mind after that. And then if you're a, a child who's receiving that kind of abuse from, from your mother, no less, that's going to make, you're going to internalize that. You're, you're, you're not going to uh, rationalize it in the way that an adult would, you know, an adult would go, she's, she's just crazy right now. She's at a loss. She's, she's in a really bad place. That doesn't reflect on me, you know, uh, but Mark did not have that. You know, he was a child. Any child would take that at face value from from their their mother, and they would internalize that, and then that would create serious problems. So it's a great origin story for how he has such deep seated, uh, you know, emotional problems that it would cause such a, a crazy reaction for him to split into these three personalities. It's it's a, a bit far-fetched in a way i know i know that um that it's supposed to be a, a thing that actually does exist I, i've never met anyone like that but uh i believe it in this story you know that's so intense you, you can see it, it, how it was viable exactly yeah, exactly exactly yep you it it's something that as you you as it's presented in front of you it makes a lot more sense as we mm-hmm. fill in the gaps of mark's life after leaving his family, he went to the military, but he went AWOL. So this kid with no family around, 
No real direction, no real purpose, no money. He just got kicked out of the military. He has to find some way to make a living. He goes and works as a mercenary. And he he always you could tell his heart is good. He doesn't want to do bad. He sort of is like a Robin Hood kind of guy who he he thinks that he's stealing from evil people and he, he sort of thinks he's doing good work. But he gets caught up in this plot that goes awry where they're supposed to, you know, st- take a bunch of these artifacts and instead there's a plot to murder a big group of people. And he's mm-hmm. like, I didn't sign up for this. And so he tries to do the right thing. This is actually the the day that Layla's father gets killed. Yeah. And he so he was being honest with everything that he told Layla about what happened with her father. He was there, he saw it, but he had nothing to do with it. In fact, he tried to stop it. And that was what led him to Conchu. Because of this altercation, Mark was wounded. Mark was dying. And he was at that moment when he was his absolute weakest, just seconds from death. Conchu kind of preyed on him He took advantage of him He knew exactly what he was doing He stops Mark From dying and he takes Advantage of a lost soul at the weakest moment Mark agrees And we see the moment where Mark Becomes Moon Knight I love it when they uh, I think there's only a couple times that they actually said the words Moon Knight in the series It's it's always fun when they say say it Like the name of the movie or the name of the show So (laughs) Yeah we find out I think there's this one scene where uh, Or there's a scene in Family Guy When when Peter's doing the grinds my gears Segments you know on TV You know what yeah. really grinds my gears And and Lois Lois goes hey come on Say it for me say it for me Pete And he goes you know what really grinds my gears And she goes oh my god he said it Oh he said it <laughs> It just reminds me of that like anytime I hear a, a, The movie name or the movie title Being uttered in a show or a movie uh, I, I think of Lois in the in the Background there so th- this is one of the discussions we've had throughout this series. Like, is Kanchu good or bad? You know, right. he's so he's so hard to decipher because you see moments like this where it's like, man, he's taking advantage of someone. Just let the guy die. Right. Just yeah. like, just let him die. Let him let him die. But no, he takes advantage. He actually makes him be this murderer, this instrument. But then, you know, we see all throughout episode six and even some of this where in comparison to the other gods, Conchu is actually pretty good. Yeah, I think with when we're talking about gods, whether it's, you know, Egyptian gods or, or Greek gods and all their similarities, uh, I think they're it, they're kind of beyond good and evil. You know, they're they're just powerful. They have good and they have evil in them. And I mm-hmm. think it's definitely a spectrum where. In the case of this story, I, I, I feel that Kanshu is, is the lesser of two evils, uh, but, but he's not a good guy. I think that's pretty clear. He's, he's unscrupulous, and he will uh, take advantage of people. And I think one of the reasons why he took advantage of Mark was because of his fractured mind. He, he found a person who was strong and weak at the same time, and he could use that weakness to manipulate him, and he could use his strengths to... Um, you know, get things accomplished on his behalf. And, uh, th- and that seemed like a perfect opportunity for Kanshu, and he, he jumped at that. But 
uh, as far as good and evil, I think he he has his own sense of morality or right and wrong, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily you know a human uh, a human being sense of of right and wrong there. Yeah, he 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 is he is motiv- motivated and moved by punishing the evil doers who have made the choice to do evil. Right. That that is that's really all that 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 drives him is the people that choose to do evil. I'm going to punish them versus Amit, who we find out tries to punish people before they even do the evil, just for a pure, a pure thought or a possibility that they may do it down the line. Um, Conchu, he wants to give you the choice. And actually, at the very end, we find out he he will sort of do that, um, mm-hmm. we think. And then he kind of <laughs> pulls the wool over our eyes a, a little bit. Yeah. But this this was the the origin of Conchu and of Mark. Coming together I have a so, thought about this as well before I move on yeah. um, We mentioned a third character uh, We've talked about Jake Lockley already um, I'm wondering If the person who betrayed Mark is None other than Jake Lockley Himself yeah. is it possible This is a Tyler Durden situation mm-hmm. Where uh, You know Jake was the guy Who actually killed Layla's father Mm-hmm. So we could think that we're out of the woods here in terms of like they've come to an understanding and a forgiveness about what happened with her father. But that revelation in season two down the line could be something that really throws a wrench into that. And I think could be very interesting. I completely agree. And I think that we have a lot. That's why I think there is going to be a season two, because right. I'm I'm glad that there is, because there's a lot of things to revisit that. That sort of got clean, cleanly ended for the most part. Like you put a little bow on mm-hmm. it, but like you said, there there are things that we're going to revisit for sure. And I think that is one of them as we got introduced to Jake uh, towards the end of the uh, the sixth episode. So Harrow now frees Amit. So what's what's happening is these unbalanced souls are being judged and condemned before their time, and we keep getting these these. Blackout like flashes from Mark There are these triggers that flash him In and out of these different realities Where he goes From being in this mental hospital With Steven and going down Memory lane and then all of a sudden He flashes back and he's sitting in this Doctor's office with Dr. Harrow And you know in the mental hospital He looks like Ned Flanders He's got the exact Ned Flanders look and it's so So weird What's going on here? Mark has no idea. Is is this reality? Why am we? Why am I going back and forth? And we don't know what's I, real. Like it is, that that it's bizarre in a kind of a cool way. It's even yeah. till the very very end, you don't mm-hmm. know if all of this stuff is just fabricated in his mind. Did Mark make? Is he just insane? And has he created all of this? Is he just a dude sitting in a mental hospital that all of this create was created in his mind? Yeah, from the from the point they introduced that idea, like you said, all the way to the very, very end, not just of this episode, but of this season, uh, we're still as an audience questioning what's what's real. At what point did stuff start getting made up in Mark's mind? And like, to what extent is all of this in Mark's head? Uh, th- there's really uh, no way to tell up or down a- after a certain point in this story. And I think that's what makes Moon Knight's such a, a special MCU project. Uh, there's no other story in, in the in the MCU's in the MCU's entirety. There's no other story that 
has a narrative that sort of functions that way. That's that ambiguous. That's really messing with the audience all the way till the end. Um, I love it. So as the memories get shared more and more, as Mark opens up a little bit more to Steven, the scales get more and more balanced. And we, I mean, we see some other just brutal stuff. Uh, Mark outside of his mom's Shiva. So his mom dies and he's never been able to have that relationship with his mom that most kids have ever since what happened with his brother. They've been in this miserable, awful, tragic relationship so much that it forced Mark to leave. He couldn't even come back and go inside. He had to stay outside. He was like watching from outside and drinking. It it was just too much for him. Yeah. Yeah. he never got to reconcile. It was all part of that trauma. Uh, he he couldn't do it. And I, I love the um, the sequence that plays out with with uh, Ethan Hawke's character and 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 Stephen and asking him to call his mom in this episode. Uh, that the the realization on Oscar Isaac's uh, like his face, his performance there, it's it's brilliant. You can see that he's coming to understand that his mom has died. Before um, he admits to it, you could you could you could, you could feel it in his performance, the, the reality setting in before he says it out loud, and it's just a beautiful uh, moment, a great way to have that revelation there. So, Mark and Stephen continue to try to work to balance their scales. They're still not quite there, and as the as Hero trying to free Amit has. Has started to trigger this this judgment. These souls aren't being judged at their time anymore. They're being judged ahead of time. So what happens is all of Mark's past victims they start crawling up from the sands and attacking him. You know, this reminds me of uh, I, I'm sure and all of these people who make movies and shows and stuff nowadays they all watch the same stuff that we watched when we were younger right they're like this generation of right. people so they were influenced a lot of times by the exact same things that we're mentioning and most of them will even say oh yeah i thought about that when i saw that movie or that show i hate when people right. won't when they act like it was just all them it's like come on you didn't right. just cre- create that there was something that you saw that gave you some inspiration there you know come on but it Absolutely. reminded me of Mortal Kombat at the very end. Once, um, yeah. when Liu Kang is fighting Shang Tsung, and then all of the his former, the like his former like the souls come up, and it's like the people right. that Liu Kang has just beat earlier, and then he, he his brothers there, and there's right, this moment right. where he's like, talk, looking at and interacting with the ghost of his brother, and Shang Tsung sort of tries to trick him there, and it reminds me a lot of uh, of that in, in this moment where we're we're seeing these like. Sand sort of monsters rise up. Yeah. They're like zombie sand zombies, you know, of uh, of his former victims, and they're fighting them off. And Stephen tackles one of them off of the boat into the sands, where he actually turns into the the stone himself, and he is in the sands yeah. with everyone else. It feels and seems as if Stephen is gone, and. It, it right now it, we're not sure if we're going to see Steven back because Steven was something that was created. He's not even a real person. He's a he's an right. alter ego of of Mark himself. 
Yeah, and I think what's uh, beautiful about this moment is um, it kind of flips that idea on its head and uh, asks of the audience, is is Stephen actually a real person? Uh, are we are we okay mourning him right now? Like that's the natural feeling in this moment. He sacrifices himself, and Mark uh, looks on uh, at Stephen as if he's a real person. And I think um, they actually do achieve that. Uh, and making it feel like we we've we've lost a real person there, and it makes the audience that this series has made the audience care about saving Stephen uh, or or losing him potentially in this moment. Um, I think that's an achievement unto itself right there, and it speaks um, to the the character development uh, of of Stephen. Um, and it, it's a it's a unique thing because we're we're as an audience mourning this uh, this person that we know is not only a fictional character but a fictional character within the realm of the fiction that we're watching. So uh, it's a, uh, it's kind of a, a mind trip in that sense. It's, it's another really, really big feather in the cap of the MCU mm-hmm. when it reminds me in a different way of what they're able to do with Wanda and vision. It's like, mm-hmm. they make you feel this love story between a robot and a witch. That's like, right. What? And then you feel when vision dies every time. Like it brings a tear to your eye when they lose when they lose each other, and right Wanda's here, kids, Wanda's exactly. kids, that, which carries over into we, Multiverse of Madness. I and, mean, the, she's yeah. mourning kids that she so, created in her in her mind, and and so it's it's strange, but it's like beautiful in a weird way how much they can make you feel for something that seems so silly. Like like we said, this yeah. is like a me myself and Irene thing. Like this is this could be a comedy movie with Oscar Isaac right. having. Three separate personalities here And and one of them has got a British accent You know but the, yeah. but the moment We see Stephen created The moment when Mark is sitting in his room And his mom is banging on the door And she's going mm-hmm. Mark Mark open this door And he creates Stephen It's even Great moment too. It's even sad that like Mark wanted to protect Stephen from seeing it He didn't even want mm-hmm. Stephen Even now as an adult to see the trauma that he had to deal with He said you know I created you to get Away from all of that you're not supposed to See any of that and you see The moment where the kid just like He's like shaking his head And it's like he just He like snaps and then He starts talking yeah. in an accent Oh let's clean this flat up my full mom Mom's gonna be upset with us It's like whoa it's yeah. And there's a mirror next to him too Which I think Connects to that uh, the mechanism of how he switches, you know, later on mm-hmm. in life. And and one thing we find out is that we look in a lot of the the times where Mark and Stephen are talking to themselves in a reflection, it usually looks like there are multiple reflections yeah. in there. So usually three. It looks At like there three. are two other people that the one is talking to, and now we're yeah. finding more and more out about that as we lead into episode six. Is uh. Mm-hmm. Their scales are now balanced And Mark is now in a paradise Like place In the field yeah. of reeds And it looks it looks exactly like Sort of like Thanos Where Thanos was mm-hmm. right? In, in his paradise And in the unfortunate thing For some people is once you get to that point You're bored I mean it's just not Doesn't feel right for you because <laughs> It's like what what's next I'm just supposed to sit here in paradise And just do nothing You know Thanos Right <laughs> Thanos couldn't do that and for Mark More than anything he knew That 
he was not supposed to be there yet. This was not his time. And he, even though he was a created fiction of really his imagination, he wanted to go back and save Steven. I think for him, Steven and Mark all together are Mark. Without one or the other, it's not Mark being complete. Because as much as Mark did create Steven, what we find out in, in getting into episode six, too, these two are two that, that need each other to be that whole human. Some of the strengths yeah. that Steven has are major weaknesses without Mark. You know, he's not tough. He needs someone to be to take the initiative a little bit more. He needs someone to be a little bit more badass. And then on a flip side, Mark needs someone like a Steven side to be more cerebral. To be a little sillier To maybe be more thoughtful about things So they really do Complete each other perfectly And sort of make that perfect man Yeah I think you're exactly right Mark isn't complete Without his his alters uh, Without being with his alters And, and being in sync with his alters um, He can Function on his own uh, But he, he will do so in, in a way that will always kind of lead him astray unless he gets in sync with that other side of him. Because like you said, uh, that's that's what creates the balance. Uh, like there's the weakness on one hand and then there's the, the strength on the other. And then it's it's reversed between the two personalities. And then when they combine forces, they are a balanced uh, character, a balanced person. And they do that in a very literal way with the uh, the scales in, in the heart. Uh, in the in the mythology here, uh, which it's it's a great way to represent that, but it truly just uh, is a message about finding balance of character, uh, and that's essentially what the mythology kind of speaks to as, as well. Uh, uh, that in order to pass through the fields of reeds, you have to have a balanced heart, and how do you have a balanced heart? Well, you have to probably find balance within your life. You can't be too much of any one thing. Um, and, uh, and, uh, that's, that's kind of what it's all, all about here. That's the moral of the story. So the scales are balanced. Mark is in paradise. He's in the field of reeds, but he is not happy. He is not content as we move to episode six. And we'll talk about that with you on the next, uh, episode of that's what G said, but a little bit of a, just a look ahead and we'll dive, we'll dive in deeper to episode six. We'll do our, like our scene by scene and we'll, and then we'll do a sort of our final thoughts on the series overall. Yeah. But it is it is funny to be in this place, Tim, because normally we are on the week to week. So when we know what's already happened. It does definitely um, influence how we look at episode five when you know what's going to happen in episode six. Absolutely. And um, I did feel like the episode five and six kind of went together. Uh, each previous episode, maybe episode one and two kind of went together. Uh, but these last uh, two felt like a big finale, uh, two, par- two parts of a whole. Um, and uh, I got to say, they stuck the landing. Uh, that was the big question going into it. Uh, I know we, we haven't gotten into six so far, but as far as five is concerned, they really stuck the landing. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I liked six as well. So uh, this, I think, broke the streak of Marvel properties having kind of weaker third acts. I thought this was the strongest third act uh, to date. And um, this uh, this episode, episode five, really kicked off the third act uh, with, with a bang and a lot of heady concepts that made the, the, the series on a whole feel 
a little bit more important, a little bit more, gave us a little bit more to chew on uh, and, and kept me interested, you know, and I've been saying this with each series that, you know, that's kind of a thing. It's a little, I'm a little bit tenuous with the MCU. They're giving us so much that I'm really waiting for the, the quality to dip. And I've seen dips in certain areas, uh, but this was a great refresh point uh, and uh, really stoked to talk about the finale with you. I agree. This was it was really well done, and uh, just leading in to episode six, gods and monsters, which we'll talk about next. We will uh, we will see the, some really really cool fight sequences and some scenes. Yeah. We get some gods fighting. We get a good look at Moon Knight. And what I as a little teaser, one thing I love is we get to see Stephen and Mark together fighting as the Moon Knight, Mister Knight. And and really how they complete each other, how they kind of go yeah. in and out of fights, and like when one is kind of you know struggling a little bit, the the other version will kind of come in and save them. It's just it's really like you're having to fight two people, and I I, I yeah. love the way that that was done. It it's a new dynamic between them. It's more seamless, and uh, the way they interact with each other, the way they speak, and uh, and the way they interact as Mister Knight and Moon Knight, kind of seamlessly flowing between the two. The action is incredible in the finale. Uh, I love the the shot at um, Wonder Woman 1984. I think they definitely mm-hmm. uh, overtly made one character's design uh, basically a, a direct answer to Wonder Woman and kind of giving us a, a Wonder Woman for the MCU. Absolutely. Like we haven't seen quite yet. So I, I'm really excited to get into that. Uh, we even got like a, a kind of a kaiju battle in the finale, which I didn't see coming. So this series literally had everything uh zombies comedy adventure and 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 egyptian kaiju gods so like (laughs) what else can you ask for coming soon on that's what g said we will recap episode six the series uh, the season finale it flipped from series to season because it looks like we're gonna have a season two of moon Knight, and then uh, in the coming weeks we'll also dive into doctor strange and the multiverse of madness sort of a take on horror from the mcu and we've seen more like spooky things from marvel in the last six months to a year than ever before tk so i think this is this is a genre with even from wandavision which was kind of Kind of scary and what if And Moon Knight and Doctor And Doctor Strange they're all In this different a little bit More wild Fantastic where Crazy stuff can happen I mean we're Seeing a lot of killing now In the MCU that we may not have seen Before and you know like Killing that was sort of assumed off Screen but we're seeing people just getting Blown away right in front of us or Destroyed or like Disintegrated so they're raising the level of uh, of intensity now in this next phase of the MCU. Yeah, they're setting the stage for, I think, some darker heroes, maybe Dark Avengers, um, the Midnight Suns, Ghost Rider, uh, some of these some of these supernatural characters that deal with uh, the, you know, the dark side of the force, let's just say. Um, I uh, I'm really excited to see where they go with it. I think they're they're really uh, laying out some good groundwork to expand the universe in a way that feels cohesive and coherent with what they've done before. I love how they continue to layer on, you know, mythologies and histories together, and they all kind of weave together in a nice, a nice, um, you know, cohesive way. Uh, it, the MCU is really doing a, a great job weaving these stories together, and uh, 
that's a that's a crazy challenge. I gotta say, it's a it's a TV show being done on this grand scale across you know multiple mediums. Uh, I still look at the movies almost as like a TV show because they're so serialized, but they they've just become their own thing. Like like we've yeah. said in the past, like the MCU, we almost have to judge it on like a separate scale, and that's a plane. Yeah, its, <laughs> yeah, that's to its detriment, but that's also to its credit because it's just create it's carved out its own fit like space in terms of entertainment and uh, uh, i'm still interested moon knight's got me uh hooked and uh can't wait to chat about episode six with you and multiverse of madness and so on yep we've got a lot coming in the next few weeks we'll finish up with uh with moon knight um next and then we'll get into doctor strange tk my friend thank you so much i know the last couple weeks have been uh tough we were both busy schedules hard stuff some family uh Problems you were traveling but um, Back home now and it looks like we'll be kind of getting Back into a, a normal groove so I Always appreciate you being flexible and uh, Being able to call audibles man thanks so Much thank you That's Tim Kelly make sure to give him a follow At Tim is not funny on Twitter and On Instagram and check out the music project Ice cream fire with uh, with Jackie who is a very very Talented wife of his and uh, They got a beautiful family there with the little man Connor talk to you again next week buddy Thanks so much thank you Gino Do not go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more on this episode of That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode. We will be back with more content coming up uh, in just a few days. If you need any help with any other racing, Santa Anita, Louisiana Downs, always come give me a follow on social media on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. Hope everyone has a great rest of your weekend, and good luck. Yeah.